Good evening. You are listening to a pre-taped episode of the Ghostly Talk Paranormal Talk Show. Enjoy a one-hour flashback interview, followed by two brand new discussions we have had with the wonderful guests that make Ghostly Talk the show that it is. We had a lot of fun putting these together for you folks. So enjoy, and see you all back here live in 2009. Broadcasting from the world-famous Haunted Winery here in Warren, Michigan, this is Ghostly Talk on December 7th, 2008. Ghostly Talk is independently produced every Sunday night from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time to, <laughs> to converse about all things paranormal. For more info, go to www.ghostlytalk.com. I can never get that you right. You almost nailed that. Uh, yeah, right. Tonight, a flashback discussion with one of our favorite guests, Mr. Bill Nell. Oh, yeah, he's the man. Oh, yeah. Later, Jeff Allen Danilak returns. And then finally tonight, Michigan MUFON director Bill Konkoleski joins us in the Haunted Winery Studio. <laughs> on the line. Bill, you st- are Bill you still Nell. there? He hasn't, he yes, hasn't, I'm here. He yeah. he's, he's ran away just yet. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Yeah, for some, some reason, we haven't chased him away. I don't know why, but I'm <laughs> really, know, really glad. I just glad. wanted to mention to yeah. people so they get, um, <clears throat> again, if they go to ufoguy.com, www.ufoguy.com, the videos are available. You can get them online. Yeah. But, you know, um, one thing I've been glad to see in the last few years is that now uh, fiction, if you will, is starting to cover some of this stuff. You know, years ago, um, I was in Texas, and I was doing a bunch of seminars, and I had met um, Sean Cassidy. 
and uh, spoke to him quite a bit. Sean Cassidy, the teen yeah, idol? The teen idol who also produces Invasion, which is now a big oh, show on ABC. Wow, and, um, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he, he, he's into the paranormal big time. He's produced a few shows. This is his most successful, and I'll tell you, it's good to see that, though. It's good to see. You know what really thrilled me? I don't know if you guys saw it. Did you see the Bermuda Triangle show on Sci-Fi, the, oh, the miniseries? Oh, yes. Now, if you saw that, you know those guys had to have seen my videos, <laughs> which is fine. You know, I mean, this happens. But I'm glad to see, you know what, it's for the first time we're starting to see sci-fi grow to the point where they can present this as something people can actually believe. Years ago, it always would be a UFO or it would be some secret government thing that was taking people away. But it's interesting to see them really make the Philadelphia Experiment such a big part of that miniseries. I was really glad to see that. Well, you know, you're, you're very opinionated, Bill. No. <laughs> Bill? Yes. You got the wrong guy on the phone. Oh, right it must now, not be Bill. Not Bill. No, no, um, no, because I've read, because um, you, you really do uh, pretty much single-handedly uh, act as a watchdog <laughs> for all the stuff that is basically pumped down people's throats, or in this case, through their eyes, mm. um, uh, via the uh, you know popular channels, mm -hmm. the popular uh, channels, and 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 you used to put a, a an article used to here and there used to uh, flit by on uh, par paranormal par news, yeah, yeah. paranormalnews.com, mm -hmm. and uh, you know it says by Bill Nell, and of course whenever it says by Bill Nell, I, I read it right away. Yeah, and I print out forty copies, pass them out to the people <laughs> at the office. <laughs> yeah, have, have, have my own seminar going. Okay, Bill said this. Listen, yeah, that's, that's what happens <laughs> when you write an article. Well, and, yeah, it's very important. And so, so to hear this, because this is directly the opposite of what was happening about two years ago. About two years ago, you were like, well, the, I, I was it uh, well, Steven you know, Spielberg. You get, you get so and, disgusted because after being involved in this with so many years as, in a re, as a researcher, mm -hmm. you know, to see your work basically trashed, you know, I mean, people mm -hmm. just say, you know, it's like when, um, uh, I'll give you a good example, uh, when the Bud Hopkins no novel started to come out on uh you know, as network television shows, uh, I remember they had the one about the Debbie Toomey story, and uh, they had the UFO investigator in that as a guy who was climbing up trellises, coming in out of windows instead of using doors and eating Thai food. You know, it was every new age, nuance, negative thing towards the... And I was so mad at Bud for that, because I said, how could you allow this, you know? I would never allow my work to be trashed like that, you know? And, and it angered me, just like it angered me when Steven Spielberg, who I have worked with mm -hmm. on a number of projects, turned around and came out with this horrible Taken show. Damn or when yeah. Sci-Fi decided to hire Brian Gumble. Oh, here's a guy who knows all about the paranormal, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, because, because Sci-Fi is owned by NBC. That's why uh, yeah. Brian Gumble got the job. And it's just, it's obscene that he did a special on Roswell, which was basically just a hatchet job. It was the worst piece of trash. Second only, you know, God rest his soul, Peter, uh, Jenkins, Peter Jennings. But yeah. you know what? His UFO special, you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he was dead at that point. You know, that was some <laughs> evil, horrible wow. piece of garbage. You know? And it's true. This and it's true, happened. you know, you hate to say it, but it's true. But then when you see something good, you see like Invasion coming, which is great sci-fi because it doesn't, use, it, it doesn't use the UFO investigator or the topic as a scapegoat. You know, it, it keeps things in perspective, as did the Bermuda Triangle thing. I liked it because they really kept it in perspective. They didn't trash us all. I mean, you know what, we're guys out here that since the 1950s, not for me, I was started in the 60s, but... 
you know, guys like me have been using our grocery money for years to investigate this stuff. Nobody ever cared. And now Hollywood thinks they can make millions of dollars off it, which is fine. I mean, that's what they do. But the point is, if you're going to do that, don't trash the guys that gave it to you. You know, At least show them some respect. That's all. Yeah, that's show us all some respect because we were out there with no government funding, you know, with, the, with, with, with watching our gas gauges running all over the country, trying to track this information down. And it's expensive. I mean, the, the Philadelphia Experiment investigation has been huge mm. and not easy. It's been tough because you're working against um, – I, I used to tell people, now, think of government disinformation. Imagine, imagine if there's one guy writing one sentence about disinformation once a week. You know, that's, that may be a skeptic, but imagine the government who could have a thousand guys writing every minute of every day disinformation so that reality, non-reality seems like reality to everybody and we all believe it. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much the way it is. Well, it's a <laughs> Not very, too far from the truth. It's a very stressful thing to be enlightened, I tell people all the time. You know, it's a very stressful thing to be aware and thinking a little further than what you just see on you know, whatever corporate-run station there is on TV. I'm not going to pimp their names. I'm not doing that on this show. But it, it's very, I found that over the years, and since my enlightenment, I like to call it, the enlightenment, Scott L's enlightenment, I've been stressed out a lot more, man. Because <laughs> I'm, like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Because they're like, oh, no, Scott, this is good for you. Take this pill. No, I don't want to take this pill. It's going to turn me into a zombie. I don't think so. No. I've seen what it does. I've, taken, I've told the story about the bike, and I've taken the bike in one time. And it put me out for 15 hours straight. Wow. I slept through a Friday night, and that was that half of a Vicodin. And I see people, for example, popping these things like candy, right? Yep. And, then, and, and every, every piece of news I see or article I read or whatever, it says, oh, no, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's helping people. It's helping people <laughs> ease their pain. It's good for you. You need to take that. And, I'm, and there's where the mind starts working, right, Bill? This is where the disinformation it kicks in, and there's where my mind comes in. And I go, no, they're trying to turn us into a nation of zombies, so we'll buy their crap. You know what? Back, yeah. in, the, uh, back in the early 90s, okay, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm not taking a stand either way on this. I'm just going to say that I wrote an article in my newsletter, how that it's all about control. Mm -hmm. And I pointed to very liberal people and very conservative people. I pointed to people like Rush Limbaugh, and I pointed to people, you know, that were like Carville. And I said, you know what? It's all a game, and none of you get it, do you? You don't understand what they're doing. What they're doing is controlling you. They have complete control. You hang on every word that both these people say, whether you're a stark, raving liberal or an absolute tie-wearing conservative. They've got you. Mm -hmm. They've got you, and you don't even know it. And people got mad. But you know what's funny? Almost two years after I wrote that article, I started receiving mail and have been ever since. Oh, my God, Bill, you were so right. Because think of all the freedoms we've all lost since the 80s. Just mm -hmm. that alone. You know, they're, they're positioning us so they literally can do anything they want at any time. And we're going to believe anything that any of them say, whether they be liberal or conservative. Because you know what? In Washington, I'll tell you, I grew up in, uh, partly in Washington. My father was a general... Man, they're all in it together. They go to lunch after they get done saying those horrible things to each other on television. It's all a pile of crap, excuse me for saying. It's okay. They, they have their friends. They stay together. They, and, and it's all about, from, from the, I would say from the 1940s on, what it was all about was one thing, and that's controlling the public. Because, you know, once people realized there was something else out there in terms of UFOs and this technology, it became very important to the government and still is today to have the public under their thumb because, you know, uh, you know, you always think that you're the only one who can handle this. 
And meanwhile, you might be the most morally objectionable person on the planet. Mm-hmm. But you think, oh, I'm the one that should have access to this and just me. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I have to cite somebody because, you know. This sounds so much like, is it Preston Dennett? Preston Dennett. Yeah. Preston Dennett's book. Mm-hmm. I think uh, independently, um, he has, uh, or maybe he read your article. <laughs> uh, independently, I think he has come up with, uh, that, that's a huge part of Decimal. Mm-hmm. And what was the book before Decimal? Like, uh, why can't I remember? Trillion. Trillion, yeah. Or maybe it was the other way around. But uh, you're, not, you're not talking about Preston Dennett. You're talking about, oh, God. Who, I can't remember it anymore. My mind is shot. Um, who wrote Trillion and Decimal? Quick. Oh God, I can't remember. I have the. They're sitting right in my Both? room. Well, go get them, John. <laughs> fetch the books on my bookshelf. We're gonna send our. Don't our... touch the bed. No black lights. Go in there and just check out the books. It's just, <laughs> We're gonna send our friend did. It's, it's on the bookshelf. It's I'm on the bookshelf, you, right there. These books. There's one of them's trillion. One of them's decimal. I I forgot the name completely. They, that poor guy. They are. They're also. Uh, they also open your mind. Right, I'm going. Hang on. Because <laughs> what they do is he talks. He in a fictional Wait, sense. Come on, come on. This fellow, um, uh, he, he created this fictional story, and he's written two books on it. And who is it? Hang on. I'm going I'm to build some drama. You're going to do the, the unveiling. <laughs> he wrote these books. Mark Kimmel. Mark Kimmel. <laughs> Duh. Why am I thinking Why do we think that? Preston? Well, we're talking I have about no idea. Preston Nichols. Preston Nichols. Oh, so then so I, so I just our, went on with any other Preston. Well, we're just carrying the motif of. of this show. We're out of control. Yeah. We're crazy, man. We're wild. <laughs> uh, but, okay. You know what was really interesting to me, too? You know, one of the most intelligent person uh, people that I've ever spoken to is Whitley Strieber. I'm sure you guys have Oh, are you kidding Whitley. me? Oh, I adore I, Whitley Strieber. You know what yes. I really like about him? He has a fabulous analytical mind. When he wrote Majestic, people came down on him so hard because it basically was a fictional book that was nonfiction. Right. You know, it was basically the truth, but he couldn't say it because he knew that no one would ever publish it. But it was the truth. And it was interesting because we had a long conversation one night about this, and we both agreed that what the government's trying to do is create a morally ambiguous society, a society that would be you know, absolutely accepting of anything as long as it had to do you know, with uh, a forwarding an agenda. In other words, as long as we're protecting ourselves against someone or doing something right, seemingly right, you know, the good guys versus the bad guys, and in the end, in the end, we become very morally ambiguous, despite the fact that that doesn't seem like the goal. It, it's incredible what the government's doing. If people had any clue, you know, you hear these guys, and I'm sure you've heard enough of them with the psi warfare and so on. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing what they're doing in terms of mind control out there. Well, and a I... lot of it has to do with hiding these things, because mm-hmm. the Philadelphia experiment, I mean, th- this, is a, this is an absolutely um, generation-altering device. And, and it's, it's scary what they can do with it. You know, I tell, I'll just tell a quick story. I may have sure. told the last time. I'm not sure it was on. But, you know, one, one of the things when I was growing up that really spooked me was that um, I, there was this house that an elderly couple lived in right across the street from mine. It was two houses over. And uh, the Munces were the people's names, the Munces. And um, they didn't have children. They were elderly. They were retiring. And um, I guess at some point they just moved out and somebody else moved in, and time went on. And, you know, once I got older and I started talking to people about the Munces in their house, nobody remembered it. Even my own mother and father didn't remember it. Even though, like, I, had, I still have pictures of it. I have pictures of it in my family album, you know, because when you're playing in the street, people photograph you. The house happens to be in the picture. Mm-hmm. You go there today, the house isn't there. 
The house is completely gone. It's just not there. It's like someone erased these people. And I know for a fact that the husband definitely did work for the government. Most of the people that lived on our block had some involvement with the government because this was post-World War II, and a lot of them were looking for housing. They'd either been involved with the military or they'd been involved with some of the defense contractors on Long Island, mm -hmm. various industries involving the government. But, you know, it just it freaks me out that they were literally able to take uh, people and even their property and make them vanish, and I'm the only guy that remembers it. And, and it, you know, it makes me feel very odd because for a while I thought I was going crazy, but I still have the pictures. And yet when I show them to my, like my old buds, you know, from, from the neighborhood, they're like, I just don't remember that house. I don't remember the people in it. But we all played in front of it. That, you know, the guy wasn't especially nice. We'd yell at us, you know, get out of here, you're kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yet nobody remembers it but me. Things like that, you know, really. And again, you don't want to believe any of it. You say, you know what, this guy's absolutely crazy. He's making it all up. But you see, I might be able to make up a story like this. Although I've always said that, you know, uh, science fact is better than any science fiction you've ever read because you can't make this stuff up. No. But even if I could, I could never involve all the other things that circulate around it that make it true. Well, there are so many dynamics involved with this. That make well just for example the Philadelphia experiment like we're talking about. There's so many factors you have to take into account, and that's really what makes a lot. And you being in uh, broadcasters like ourselves, we hear a new story every five minutes, and you can usually pick up on these details and know whether okay, I don't know what the, if this guy's legit or not. You know, we've been through it ourselves a few times, but the details I've seen, you know, and we're talking, well, you, we, and you it guys scrunch it down to the six The thing hours. about this one yeah. uh, is that it all ties together because Bill Nell uh, does the Montauk experiments as well as the Philadelphia experiment, but they're all tied together because of they, that. They, they, they because of that amount of energy. It, it, all de it all comes down to the amount of energy it took to power that dish mm -hmm. the, the ener and, and the chair and the time experiments, um, which also then works into the, the previous um, uh, Philadelphia experiment because that was, an, again, a huge amount of energy. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever played with that kind of stuff before. Mm -hmm. and, and it turns out, you know, the, 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 the ship gets transported over briefly off of Long Island, suddenly you're Into like, okay, well, wait a minute. Uh, uh, why is that? Why is there a connection? Well, there is a big connection. Yeah. The, the energy needed to, to, to have this happen um, drew it there. Mm -hmm. And they and put it in that place. In that place at that time. Yeah. And then back to uh, Philadelphia and... and the there idea, you go. the, the, the so dynamics, It all ties though. in. It's really, really now, You know what? Another thing that freaked me out was where I, I told the story. I was giving a seminar in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this was probably back in about 92. And um, this gentleman comes out to my seminar the following night because I was giving three nights of seminars. The first night had been about the Philadelphia experiment and the UFO cover-up. And he brought this box, and we dropped it on the uh, outside of, uh, where, where the ticket counter was. And my wife was sitting out there and a couple of our friends who I knew from the area. And they started going through the box. And this guy, was he was so interesting because he was an auto mechanic. He wasn't a technical type at all. Mm -hmm. But he had all these schematics and stuff. And apparently he had had some involvement with the Philadelphia experiment in a different way. And uh, it was interesting because he started talking about how that his brother, his brother had been on a plane, uh, been on a, basically a Hercules transport plane that had taken off 
1966 from Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Mm -hmm. And apparently what they were doing was they were they had tried to take some of the experiment, uh, the technology from the Philadelphia experiment, which worked on ships, and try to apply it to planes, which was a time was very obvious next step. I mean, we're talking the 60s. We're talking the fact that we were losing, you know, all these planes being shot down by, uh, you know, missiles over Vietnam and such. Imagine if we could make a stealthy aircraft and drop all these bombs and do it surreptitiously. So that was the idea. And it was interesting because he said on this particular flight, he was on it, his brother was on it, and um, as he took off, they turned on this technology, and the plane started to vanish. But then these UFOs appeared around the plane. Now, the same thing happened in the 40s on the sea trials with the Philadelphia experiment, because one thing that apparently where the alien connection is, is that we were using, uh, I, I believe, technology or perhaps frequencies that allow aliens to come and go and move about within our universe as they want to, mm -hmm. just that we don't have the control they have. So... Everybody on the airbase saw this. You know, Eglin's a huge airbase if you've ever been there. I've been there a number of times. Mm -hmm. And um, when that happened, the plane vanishes. Seconds later, the plane appears over the Norfolk area. And there's a small sort of like Navy air station there. And because they don't know what happened, the crew, they try to land. But apparently, when they try to radio for permission to land, all their frequencies are wrong, their codes are wrong, so they decide to land anyway. They start getting shot at. And as they open the back of the uh, huge back door of the Hercules, one of the crew gets shot, falls out, he's dead, they close it, they try and take off again. Mm -hmm. So they take off, turn on the technology because they're afraid that they're going to be shot at with missiles. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. UFOs appear over that base. People see that. Again, mm -hmm. these are you know many, many witnesses. Then the plane vanishes, it's back over Eglin seconds later. Now all this happens in less than 10 minutes, and that's, you can't travel that distance in 10 minutes. Oh, no. They're back over Eglin, okay? In the end, the plane crashes. Everybody dies except um, Robert Marsh is a guy's name and his brother, okay? We discover that the reason they couldn't land where they had appeared was because they vanished from Eglin in 1966 and appeared over Norfolk in 1982. Now, here's yeah. the interesting thing. Years later, he, you know, when he comes out to my seminar, he shows me this death certificate. For one, and when I, I have all the names of all the crew members. I use them in my lecture all the time. And um, these are real people. The guy that died, how can you take off on what's called a training exercise on a C-130 in 1966 and have a death certificate that you supposedly died on that flight, but the death certificate reads 1982? Well, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 makes that, no that got my attention. That was, I mean, he brought a box of documents. I, it took me months. It took me probably almost a year. I filmed him as well. I mean, it took like a year to get this guy's story down because he, he really kept records. See, see, Preston and the others had been so affected, and, you know, they'd been, they're, they're, their part of it had been compartmentalized, so they didn't have access to a lot of records, physical mm -hmm. records. But mm -hmm. this guy did. And it was it was amazing. I mean, it was verification that they had been trying the same thing with planes that they had done with ships. And in fact, it was interesting because he knew something that almost, I would say, very few people at that time in the early 90s knew. And it really impressed me. See, my father had met um, Robert McNamara, Secretary of, uh, basically Secretary of War during Vietnam era, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't know this, but McNamara suffered from... Um, basically a psychological disorder. Many people believe that he either had split personality or some sort of a, something similar to it, schizophrenia, 
he had a real problem. I mean, there'd be times when he'd start banging his head against the wall, and this was a guy running a war, you know. <laughs> not maybe not the best of choices. Well, sounds but like a personality rate, type to me. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but you know, maybe you just need to do me that. Out is that so yeah. Almost nobody knew this. Okay, I knew it because I heard my dad talk about it. You know, quietly, and when he said that to me. He said this was the man running that particular part of the show, and he mentioned those incidences to me. I knew the guy was for real because until Robert McNamara wrote his book a few years ago, he never revealed that. Mm -hmm. And I took McNamara to task on it. I said, look, I'm going to say this in my seminars. If it's true, if it isn't true, feel free to sue me. He never did. And I have used his name in hundreds and hundreds of seminars to prove that he had been doing this. Mm -hmm. Another thing that freaked me out was, Marsh produced, he had been involved in some of the time travel experiments. He produced this photo, which really blew me away, because apparently it was a photo from the White House communications room in 1899. Now, you know, phones were new in those days, Mm. um, but they did have phones in the White House in 1899. The problem with the photo is, among all these really ancient, old, like, you know, obvious, you know, Thomas Edison era, whatever, uh, Alexander Graham Bell era phones, were two spanking new modern phones. And I thought, you know, this is absolutely bananas. I'm really losing my mind now. Mm-hmm. Now, the photo he gave me had been taken off a glass plate that he had kept under his bed for years. A glass plate. Mm-hmm. That's just how they used to photographing. So I'd had this glass plate taken to Kodak, Kodak mm-hmm. Labs, famous for authenticating all kinds of photos. And they said, well, you know what, the glass plate is from the era. We know this because of the chemicals involved and such that would be, you know, consistent with 1899. Mm -hmm. I said, that's great. Now can you tell me how an 1899 glass plate's got two modern phones in it? Well, needless to say, they couldn't tell me. Well, the AMA could tell you. (laughs) But it just, you know, it it, it shows you the things that are going on that, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for these small little, well, you know, that's one of the reasons I started speaking. I, I really was never a person that liked traveling a lot, but I really, I mean, at some point in the 80s and 90s, I was doing about 100 seminars a year. And the reason was because I knew I had to get out there because the information was just not coming to me. I had to go out and get it. And you know what? It has paid off because so many people, so many people have come to me with little tidbits like this that are so important, all part of the grand scheme in terms of UFOs, the Philadelphia Experiment, the paranormal you know, it, it it just it blows you away, but it's important. But but you know, it shocked me because again, here's a wild story that I didn't want to believe that seemed totally out out of sync and totally incredible. And yet, the guy's got all this documentation. He has all this information. He he he'd been to everybody with this, by the way. He'd gone to CNN. He'd gone to NBC, CBS, ABC. I, I can't tell you how many times um, people, various producers from those big stations, and even shows like Unsolved Mysteries when it was on. Um, had called us or called Preston or Al or me, and then mysteriously the segment just never got shot. It never even got it past someone's desk. You know, which when you think of Unsolved Mysteries, it would have made an absolutely fabulous segment. It would have blown any Roswell segment that they did away, or even the one on the uh, on the Pennsylvania UFO crash near Kecksburg. Well, just and what about the sci-fi alone, Bill? channel? I mean, it's like this is why I hate these shows because they're all bogus. It's like when Sightings <laughs> was on. Do you know Sightings made me mad because, and I wrote about this. Do you know that the first ten episodes of Sightings were taken directly from my lecture verbatim? I mean, wow. it's like somebody bought, a, bought one of my lecture tapes and just literally copied the, the, the information and then went out and filmed their own stories. It was absolutely disgusting. But this is what they do. But, but you know what amazes me is that no one has taken the Philadelphia experiment and said, you know what, we need to do a show on this. You know? 
Well, there's so many. I just said that, that well, the dynamics take, alone. It the would take a alone. week of specials. I, think. I mean, here's a bunch of guys digging around some dirt in Roswell. <laughs> well, that <laughs> is true. Two hours on the Sci-Fi that Channel was really looking sad. at dirt, and some guy with a plastic bag putting dirt in it. Boy, that's as interesting as it gets, isn't it? <laughs> when they like... could have, when you could spend, you know what? If you spent ten minutes in a room with Preston and interviewed him, I guarantee if people would be glued to that TV, you mm-hmm. would, they wouldn't even their teeth would be floating by the end of that show. They wouldn't even get get up to go to the bathroom. Well, I know because I've like, seen it. I've seen it, Bill. We've I have, we have your videos. We watched your video. Have the pause oh, I used to warn yeah. people. You know, when I when I'd sell the videos at the seminars, I'd say, "Listen, don't watch it tonight." They said, "What do you mean?" Well, well, the you know the seminars would get over around nine, ten o'clock at night, eleven o'clock at night. People would stay around. Mm-hmm. Don't watch it tonight because I promise you, you're not going to be going to work the next day. You will not be able to turn this off. And people got back to me later. You know what? I did watch it. <laughs> I was up for like you know six, seven hours, and there was no way I could even go to work the next day. I told them, watch it when you're calm, when you're relaxed, when it's quiet, when the kids aren't around, when you can really soak yeah. it in, you have a lot of time off. <laughs> well, you know, I, I made my mother. <laughs> Mom and Dad came by for a visit one day. This was a while ago. And I'm like, I want you guys to watch something. And they're like, all right, fine, whatever. You know you know how parents are. Okay, it's some crazy <laughs> thing you're talking about on your radio show. Whatever. Okay, fine, you're a loser. Go away. So <laughs> I, put this, <laughs> I put in the segment, and I want to talk about Phil Schneider if we can. Yeah. Um, I put in the segment on Phil Schneider because I've watched that thing over and over again. And my old man was hilarious because he's just like, Corbinite, that don't exist on the periodic table of elements. I'm like, yeah, Dad. Well, he just said it doesn't. It doesn't. It, 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 we haven't been told that. He, he, these are some of the things he got into. My mother, uh, well, they both more or less shut down and said, "Okay, this is insane. This guy's talking about being attacked by aliens and underground bases and having his chest opened up by one of these things because he he weighs something over a blue thing on his chest. This is complete. This is insane." And you know, I love you know we love our parents, but it's just it's it's like I said before. These videos that you have, Bill, they're not for the weak. I don't mean weak. I don't mean weak-minded as in stupid people. I mean, well, what's a stupid person? They're all stupid. But it's not really something you can get your arms around that easy. You really need to sit down, watch it a few times, yeah. to understand the concept of what's going on. Well, the thing is, the, even the segment with Phil Schneider. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you watch that and you think th- this guy who had like. What two fingers left? I mean, he, the, the poor guy had been he was you know, beat all up. Yeah, he'd he been was shot. He'd been stabbed. He'd been uh, choked. I was unbelievable. He was pretty beat up, and and I have to say, he he didn't come across as as you know, oh, you know, here buy my T-shirt or buy my video or buy my. He he wasn't. Just, a oh no, he could have cared less about that. He he spoke for free ninety percent of the time. Let me tell you. He talked about that. He's like, I, I'm doing this on my own money. I want this truth to be out. Right. Well, you and, know, I met him. Um, by accident. Again, this is one of the reasons why I traveled like I did. I met him in Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. and I was doing a seminar with Al, and uh, we were talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. I met him after the seminar, and he really freaked me out because he told me that his dad had been the doctor or one of the doctors, MDs, speaking of, mm-hmm. uh, on the original on one of the original sea uh, trials of the Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. And I said that is absolutely interesting. So I started talking to him, and you know, he started getting into all this stuff. And he was obviously what you would call a generationally connected government guy, mm-hmm. you know, where it like starts with the dad or the granddad and goes, you know, just basically he was a you know, black ops, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And it was very obvious that the, to me, by the end of the night, after talking to him for like six hours, that the guy was completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. And Al had known him previously anyway. Al had already known him. And so talking to him about this whole thing with the Philadelphia Experiment and the underground bases, 
it was absolutely astonishing because so many, you know, it's so easy not to believe in those things because people say, well, show me one. You know, oh, sure, I'll just, you know, we'll just go down to, just try to get into Cheyenne Mountain and see how much luck you have. I mean, you know, yeah. I, oh, you know, the funniest thing happened to, I just want to briefly mention this. You know, I've spoken in, um, I've, I've spoken in Colorado Springs a bunch of times, but the funniest thing that ever happened to me was 1996. I did a, a, a three nights of seminars there, and on the third night, my entire audience was Air Force. The oh God! Audience. Oh, they they said, you know what they told me? They came in. They bought. They came in at two o'clock in the afternoon, knocked on my hotel room door, and and in cash purchased every single seat. They bought out the entire seminar, so a lot of people were mad at me that I, because I promoted on the radio, because I couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. I said, "Why are you doing this?" He said, "Because uh, two of our professors have given us as an assignment to come and listen to every word you say, record it, take notes on it, and write a paper on it." Okay. And this, and you know where they come from? The Air Force Academy. Oh and that really freaked me out. And I got to say, standing there talking about the government cover-up <laughs> in front of <laughs> you know everything from lowly airmen to there was at least one Air Force colonel there, you know, full bird colonel, mm. really freaked me out. Yeah, that would uh, be the making you know, for a stressful presentation, I think. Well, you know, actually it wasn't, though, because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, here's my shot to get these guys who are in there and tell them what's going on so that maybe at some point in their lives they'll see that while some of this may be good, it may be necessary, you know, we all love America, but some of it may not be, some of it may not be so good for people, and now maybe it's up to them to make their own minds if some, at some point in the future they want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But i got to say it was absolutely amazing. But Phil Snyder just is the most interesting guy because, you know, they tried to shut him up. He has been shot at, he's been shot, stabbed, strangled. Finally, they just killed him. Well, I mean, was, they literally, yeah, was killed, and I knew yeah. they would because, you know what, he was a guy who spoke too freely and knew too much. See, Al and Preston, they don't worry about them so much because they're, you know, they've got, in terms of their minds, their minds are so jumbled from the whole thing that whereas they can give you specific dates, times, and people, and you can probably verify it, in many cases, you know, actually believing them is tough because there is always that factor of the thing that they have had jumbled, you know, memories. But mm. this guy, his memory was sharp. Wouldn't you agree from the presentation? Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, definitely. Are I mean, he named me? times, places, and I warned him. I said, you know, they're going to get you. They, they are definitely going to get you. If I were you, I'd shut up, lay low, and, you know, try to try to figure out a way. To, I even offered to help. I said, I'll try to get this out, I said, in a safe way. I said, but, you know, they're going to they're gonna come for you because, I mean, he was a guy that was directly involved and, and can prove it in a very solid way, and, and they eventually did kill him. Well, a lot of what Phil talked about in that presentation. Well, officially, he... he mm-hmm committed suicide with well that let's get that out of the way he was he from what i understand from what i've read okay was that phil schneider committed suicide by taking a piece of rubber tubing oh that was it rubber tubing he took a piece of rubber tubing tubing and strangled himself he didn't hang himself (laughs) no (laughs) we all strangled it's very easy to strangle yourself you know (laughs) i i've often fantasized about strangling other people we all have right (laughs) but But you keep that inside you keep that inside (laughs) and it's also a thing where okay let's say i want to strangle will for example which i often want to um I grab and I just like that, right? I'm strangling him. You know, I'm doing that now. If let's just say I one day I'm just like, you know what? I wonder if I can do it to myself. That 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 interview on Ghostly Talk went horrendous. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I'm checking out, right? I'm checking out. I'm done. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to commit suicide, which sucks. I don't 
Bad. 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 No, kids, all the kids out there, eat your vegetables, don't commit suicide, okay? Don't do, don't commit suicide. Especially in this way. Well, exactly, because you you can't. You you can't. You can't. (laughs) I'm I'm not very, I'm not, I try to be as least opinionated as possible on the show, but I'm going to come out and say this publicly, that you cannot commit suicide by strangling yourself with a piece of rubber, rubber tuing. Eventually. And you know what, even that was somewhat incorrect in terms of um, the information that was put out there. Actually, he was strangled with piano wire. Oh, piano wire. And okay. That but, would be a lot, and that's a very, you know, I mean, in terms of people that, are into black ops and stuff. That's a classic. It's something they would definitely do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, I was speaking to a doctor um, about this. You know, I have a friend of mine. My mother's mother was in the nursing profession for 45 years, so we know a bunch of doctors. And I said, you know, let's say I, w- I went totally bananas one day and wanted to really strangle myself. He said, you couldn't do it. It would be virtually impossible. You'd have to swallow something. You'd have to literally force something down your own throat. And that wasn't what happened with him. He didn't force. He said, do you know how hard it is to kill somebody? I said, well, I've never tried to strangle anybody. He said, well, it's hard. He said it could take anywhere from three to ten minutes to strangle a person. Mm-hmm. And he said the idea of, of thinking of doing it yourself would be, it's unheard of. Your involuntary body, your involuntary response after you start losing air is that you're going to let go. That's, that's, oh, that's, that's the point. Go. That's the point. It's like, okay, I'm going to check out. I'm going to strangle myself with piano wire, fishing line. I don't care where it is, whatever. Uh, knitting, knit, grocery needle. Receipt. I don't care. Yeah, yeah grocery receipt. <laughs> anything good like that. I'm going to... Uh, this sucks. This uh, Okay, this sucks. You, I'm not doing this. And then even if you pass out, you're going to let go. You're going to let go, that's yeah. That's the problem. So I, I can't... I, to, what, I don't care what it is, whatever it may be, you cannot check yourself out doing that. It will not happen. This is what was told. What, well, that's the information that was put out. I, apparently, I got it wrong, too. I got, I got rubber Well, I read then, the so. same stuff on the Internet, yeah. too. So yeah. they said that he committed suicide in that manner, which... But- it, but even his even his widow, well, she was you know they they had been separated. They but, were very good friends though. But they were still yeah. good friends. Yeah. And even his widow has a website up that says uh, it's not like him to do that. Well, well, well you know what's not. interesting about him too. If you knew him or you met him, mm-hmm. you know he was such an up person for a person that had been through all these incredible things. You know, worked for the government and had all these things happen to him, and, you know, the idea of... But basically, his message was more about the secret underground bases and the involvement mm-hmm. of aliens yeah. uh, with the United States government, you know, uh, and, and cooperation, whether it be voluntary or otherwise. Uh, he was never really sure about that. But, you know, for him to have gone through this, you know, I would think it would make almost anyone suicidal, but not him. It was something... It was fascinating. It was interesting. You know, he really had a... Uh, how do I say it? He had a quest, and his quest was to inform people, mm-hmm. you know, and people, you know what, everywhere I went that I saw him, and especially when we were in Denver, the people really tended to give him a fair listening. Not everyone agreed with him, but there wasn't anyone who, because of the nature of the way he presented the information, wouldn't at least give him a fair hearing, because he wasn't talking about some pie in the sky and the by and by, you know, he was basically <laughs> laying out specific incidences, times, dates, and events that someone could believe in if they heard it. Absolutely. I mean, the stories he told in this presentation, well, I mentioned it a little while ago. He had all these exhibits that he had, you know, for as mm-hmm. far as his presentation was concerned. And he pulls out this one piece of hunk of stu- stuff. He's like, see this thing right here? And people are like, yeah. He's like, this is Mirror Night. 
this stuff burns at like a million degrees Celsius. It'll, I'm sorry, it'll melt at a million degrees Celsius. It, it, you have to get a million degrees to melt this down. You see this right here? This is corbonite. Okay, and these are things that are not, you know, we're talking about, we're trying to talk about basic elements and things like that. They these don't are not, exist they don't, right now. They don't exist. He's like, these things have been produced. These are nurtured and grown in space, sometimes naturally, sometimes not, by extraterrestrials. And these things are, they're used for technologies, they're used for weaponry and things like that. The carbonite, if I remember correctly, that would not melt at until, I mean, it would melt at 3 million degrees Celsius. That is an astronomical figure. Even for Earth standards, Bill. I, oh, it's amazing. When I heard that number, I'm like, now we're talking about space here. We're talking right. about astronomy. And when you it comes wouldn't to worry things. about re-entry into the atmosphere if you had that material. No, you would not. You would not have any problems that that would withstand any type of thing our atmosphere right. would throw at it. As far as technology, if you were to use that that material on your ship or whatever your your interstellar Cadillac, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> it would it would it would be able you'd be able to cut right through the atmosphere. You wouldn't have to wait for any windows or anything like that. He got into things like that. He, and like you mentioned, Bill, uh, Phil talked about underground bases. And this is where I was like, my, I think my head actually exploded for a couple minutes. I mean, I, just, I melted down. I fell out of my seat, passed out for a few minutes, and woke back up. And he talks about the story, a couple of stories from when he, they, he says that right now, presently, there's like, I, if I remember correctly, the number he threw out is that presently there are over 300 underground bases around the planet. A planet wide, from what I understand. And oh yeah, and and that wouldn't surprise me at all. I I think that's a very uh, conservative number. Well, and he the, he was one of the people that worked on these things. He was part of the construction crews because he was, by trade he was a master geologist, from what I understand. Am I correct? That's correct. You know, and there's the thing again. There it is again. This this somewhat interesting connection. There's always the connection. And it always seems like <clears throat> like when you deal with the Philadelphia experiment and you see the connection that, that he has to that, and then he has all this other information. So why would he lie about one thing and not about the other? You know, why would he say, oh, my dad was a doctor on the Philadelphia experiment ship, and then, you know, tell the truth about something else? There's all these connections. You know, you know one thing that really freaked me out, probably the most, you know, years ago in college, people would play this game, you know, the, the various degrees of separation and, and such. And, you know, when you use that, apply that to the Philadelphia experiment. It's fascinating. You know, one of the things I turned up, just to show you how crazy this whole thing is, um, one of the people that first became aware of it was a guy named Morris K. Jessup. And Morris K. Jessup was kind of like a pseudoscientist. He was like on the fringe of science, and he wrote all these books about UFOs, and this information about the Philadelphia experiment was sent to him by a guy named Carlos Allende, or Carl Allen. Nobody knows his real name. But he had been on the USS Furioseth, which had been another ship in the area when the Philadelphia experiment had happened and witnessed it. He told Jessup about it. Jessup became absolutely fascinated with it. Mm -hmm. And Jessup reminds me of Phil because he was a very up person. He had a lot of, did a lot of research. He went at this from a scientific angle. And when he was finally done and ready to present this information to his congressman, he was found dead. Yeah. They said he had killed himself by, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning and locking himself in the car and putting a garden hose in there, mm -hmm. which is the last thing he would do. But interestingly enough, I started taking another look at him because people often, you know, the mistake people make, they don't go back far enough. Mm -hmm. So I found out about his dad. Now, his dad was Morris K. Jessup Sr., mm -hmm. and his dad was once the curator of the Museum of Natural History in New York City. Mm. which in and of itself doesn't really mean anything until I went there to try to get some more information on him. Mm. And instead, I ended up talking to a guy 
who was a forensic anthropologist. These are the people that you see on TV when they find a skeleton. Mm-hmm. They reconstruct the face. Have you guys ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so cool to watch that. You oh, know? Yeah, completely. And, and he was the originator of this whole thing, though. He was the father of that whole thing. So I started talking to him, and I found out that during the 1940s, he was consistently moved from the museum on a regular basis by armed military guards and taken out to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Mm. And what was supposedly going on at that time at the Brooklyn Navy Yard? Part of the Philadelphia experiment. So, you know, here I am, again, running into this, not even really looking for it. It's just there, right? Mm. So I finally started talking to this guy. We had lunch a few times. And he finally said, look, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to, you know, take it. I mean, again, this is coming from a legitimate scientist working at a major museum, you know. He said, you know what I was doing? I said, no. He said, I was taken out to the uh, Brooklyn Navy Yard. And he said, on a number of occasions, I was asked to reconstruct, uh, you know, bodies on burned skeletons. So what do you mean? He said, well, they were unusual because they weren't just burned. It was like they had been serrated with some kind of weird heat. And he said the thing that really freaked me out was some of the skeletons had metal pieces that had been serrated into the bone. Yeah. And I thought these could have been the skeletons from the um, you know from the ship yeah. that had been possibly removed because eventually, let's face it, they had to you know remove the uh, bulkheads and such and do something with the bodies, right? Yeah, of course. So I mean, and apparently there were a lot of men who probably were not immediately identified uh, after this event. I have no doubt about that. Mm. And and then later on, here, here's the really freaky thing that he told me. He said, and again, this is this is coming from someone who's a normal. You know, average scientists have no interest in the paranormal at all. Mm-hmm. He said after he had done that, a few years later, in 1948, he was brought out there again, and he was asked to reconstruct the skeleton of something that didn't look human. And I often thought, could that have had to do with the Philadelphia experiment? Could it have been an alien they found somewhere? Mm-hmm. Could even have been one of the dead aliens from the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. But he said whatever it was, it was definitely not human. It was a skeleton, but it wasn't a human skeleton, and it wasn't an animal skeleton. So again, and again, again, who was this guy? He worked for the Museum of Natural History, where Morris K. Jessup worked, whose son became interested in all this, allegedly, because of stories he heard from his dad. You know, again, it's like an unbelievable series of connections that you don't want to believe, but if you don't dig and you don't, you know, when you start digging into it all, mm-hmm. you find all these amazing, unbelievable connections. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I was saying before about all these events that have unfolded concerning the Philadelphia experiment and Montauk is that they're so the dynamics of this thing are so intricate. There's it's so deep, and like you just said, Bill, um, sometimes people just don't look back far enough to, to find. And you know out what? When you go there, Long Island is an unusual place because for so many years it's been a place of so many UFO sightings, and people always wondered. Why are so many UFOs attracted to this place? Why are there so many sightings? Well, if they were doing this experimentation there, that's the obvious answer. Mm. And again, it would, it, it, you know, it matches, it meshes, it provides it. And you know, you know, the thing is, when I first started going to the base, when they were rebuilding the underground area, and I mean, that, that's an area that's incredible. <laughs> Do you know that even uh, Nikola Tesla did experiments under that, in, the, in mm-hmm. that area? Um, with that's one thing we, we didn't even, I, I've been meaning to mention that, is that Nikola Tesla, he had a hand in the Philadelphia experiment also. I think he oh, was, he did, and you know what? He also actually, picked the place. He picked Montauk, I believe. Well, you know why he picked it was because he had already built tunnels under there. Okay. He built tunnels, all these tunnels that go for like 20 miles around Long, that part of Long Island for his original research into, um, you know, basically transmitting power Through the way the we transmit radio waves. Right. Yeah. 
So, so I mean, the tunnels, he thought, well, this is great because I've already got the tunnels. Mm-hmm. If we expand them, they're, they're only about five foot high, but if we expand them, this is a great place to go and do this work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, it's all these amazing connections that you just want to say, you know, when you get done, it really it leaves your head full. I want to ask you something real quick. Sure. I think it was you. I think it was the, when, when we spoke with you, Bill. The um, Somebody, anyway, described an incident where or a, a visit. They, they had gone over somebody's house. And I've had dreams about this. This is why I'm asking you. Okay. Um, Trippy. Gone over somebody's house and went into the garage, and they had this disc. Oh, I love this story, yes. If, what, if that's your story? Yeah, I'll tell it real briefly. You know, and by the way, you can you can go to my website at ufoguy.com. Yes. Um, and you can you know ufoguy ufoguy.com. You can see the videos. You can I actually read a bunch of free information, but I recommend the video because hey, you know what? It will definitely change your perception of everything. Uh-huh. But um, okay, this is uh this is around 1990. Okay, I got now. I remember the friend I was telling you about earlier who came with me to the session involving the three gentlemen from the Philadelphia Experiment and Montauk Project, the guy who worked for NASA. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was heavily connected. <clears throat> you know, it was interesting, too, when I went and I spoke, he invited me a bunch of times to speak at lunchtime. They have these little get-togethers, these technical guys and such, and during special events. He invited me to speak, and I went and spoke a couple of times. You know, I never heard more amazing UFO stories ever than I did it after those meetings. I mean, it was almost <laughs> like, oh, I'll, I'll freak you out even that. more than that. One time I went to, an, uh, you know, Long Island's a strange place. I, I, I was invited to an elementary class, and I, the only reason I went is because the teacher was a good friend of mine. I came to talk about UFOs, and all the kids had drawn alien, uh, pictures of their perception of aliens. And I'll tell you, looking at those pictures really freaked me out because every one of them had a story. Oh, my mother or my brother or my sister had seen this thing, and I knew it was them, and I knew it was the kids. Right. But it was like the Children of the Damned movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. But, but anyway, okay, so my friend says, you know, you got you got to meet this other friend of mine. So I meet him, and he says, you know, he, he's his father. Now, again, once again, involvement. His father had been directly involved with the Philadelphia Experiment. And he had a diary. And to this day, I've not been able to get my hands in a diary. But I understand why. The guy got works in government circles. And if, you know, if he ever passes that to me, that's the end of, maybe of his life. It's certainly the end of his employment. <laughs> but I go over to his house. He said, based on what his father wrote in this diary, he constructed this thing. Okay, I go in the garage. It looks like a Frisbee. It doesn't impress me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a fake little flying saucer. <laughs> and it's got this little 9-volt battery connected to a bunch of circuitry. So I said, wow, that's, that's interesting. What is it? He said, well, if you'll stand back. Now, whenever one of these techno guys says stand back, you stand way back. You never know how if there's a nutty professor that's going to, like, blow up the neighborhood, you know? Yeah. So I, I walk out, basically stand at the entrance to the garage. Garage door is open. He flicks a little switch on top of the thing. And the thing within seconds, he jumps back, and the thing hops, literally flies directly up to the ceiling and just sits on the ceiling. Whoa. I mean, it just sits there. So I'm watching this, and I really don't know what to say. I mean, what do you say when you see something like that? Finally, the thing falls down. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like all disappointed looking. I'm like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. He said, no, it's not. I said, why? He showed me that the, one of the little connectors from the 9-volt battery had come loose, and that's why the thing f- fell down. He said, if that hadn't come loose, you could have sat here for hours and watched that thing just sit up there. 
Oh my God! I'm like, you did that with a nine volt battery. He said, Yeah, but it's not about power. It's you know, you can you can it's it's about the utilization of energy. You know, they start talking all this technical stuff. I'm gone. I have no clue what he's saying. <laughs> right. But I think I sort of got the impression, or I got the picture. It has to do all with superconductors. But I saw it myself, mm-hmm. and it was just a, I'm like, Are you going to be selling this anytime soon? You know, because <laughs> I want to be first on. Like, said, No, I won't be doing that. I said, Well, that's too bad. But I got to say, you know. Again, again, technology coming directly or indirectly to us from the Philadelphia experiment. Now, if he could do that, if he could do that, imagine what the government can do. You know, it's like when you hear them, you you wonder why in such a dangerous world they keep shutting down bases. It seems like they're canceling military projects because they've probably got something so much better. Well, the black budget's in effect. We all know that. I won't I mean, you, yeah, you look at the money they're spending. I, I was up in Canada uh, for a series of seminars, and I started throwing out some of the money, you know, in terms of money, what we spend on national defense and stuff. And one radio guy who had been a news guy for years at the CBC, you know, big-time news guy, he, he was on the radio there with me, and he said, you know, he said, do you realize the amount of money that you just spoke about is almost our entire, you know, national budget for the whole country of Canada for the year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like an Independence Day where the guy says, what do you think, they're actually spending $300 on a hammer, $500 on a toilet seat? You no, know? no. <laughs> the money's going somewhere, you know. <laughs> exactly, and I mean, the black, I said before, the black budget is in effect. And you're talking about technology. Another thing, Phil Schneider, I mean, the guy just, the whole, the gentleman, that gentleman just fascinates me. One of the things he talked about as far as technology goes, and you mentioned this a long while ago uh, in this conversation, Bill, is that there are, there, the government is working on technologies that are 100 years ahead of the stuff we have right now. What we're looking at is stuff they worked on 20 years ago. This stuff, just even, the, right. even our DVD players or our, our cell phones we play with and, and take pictures with and record MP3s with, I don't know why. But, you know, we have, all these things we use now, this is old hat to those guys, right? One well, you the, know, go ahead, that's Bill. the thing. You're absolutely right. And, in fact, it's interesting because if you go back and look at some of the stuff that's available – um, I, I mean, I remember in the early 1980s visiting Bell Labs in New Jersey because my uncle worked there at one point and seeing this incredible uh, fiber optic computer. That was the early 80s. I mean, I didn't even know. I, I'd never put my fingers on a keyboard at that point. Mm-hmm. I think I, uh, a year later, bought one of those little Atom things that they were selling. Right, yeah, yeah. Keep the garbage thing. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I'd never seen one before. And to see a fiber optic one. And then you know what really freaks me out? You know what? If you go back and look, one of the things that really freaks me out with the Philadelphia experiment was the whole time, the whole idea of time travel. You know, years ago, there was a book written in the early 1960s, and on the flap of the book was this incredible picture. And, and I never forgot it. I have a terrific memory. That's either good or bad. You know, I can never see a movie twice and enjoy it. That's the bad news. <laughs> but the good news is I remember a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I saw this picture. And in the picture was a painting from uh, Rome. It actually had been made several thousand years ago. And the picture had come from the Palestine Hill area of Rome, which is one of the big archaeological digs area, you know, mm-hmm. in the Roman mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. And the, the painting showed what appeared to be a modern building and a spaceship, a rocket. And I always thought the painting was a fake until I started researching and found out it was real. And as I got older, I started looking into this, you know. And I think it was around... Um, the late 1960s, my dad took me out to see Cape Kennedy and the, uh, when they were doing the moon you know, launches and such. Yeah. And I remember seeing this big building. It was the Vehicle Assembly Building. And in the background, you could see one of the um, Saturn V rockets 
and I, it, bing, it went off in my head. That was what the painting showed. Oh. And I'm like, how does a painting that's several thousand years old show a scene from modern times in Florida of a rocket launch waiting to happen? Unless somebody was able to go back or forward and get that information. It's like when you read Jules Verne and you read about his voyage to the moon and you find out that he predicts that the moon voyage, he was French, why he, you know, why he would ever say that the rocket would take off from the coast of Florida in the United States, I don't know. <laughs> why he would say it was a three-stage rocket, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's all these people that have predicted the future. They must have had some, there must have been something. Mm-hmm. There must have been something, a lot more than guesswork going on here. You know, some of the inventions of Leonardo da Vinci, way ahead of his time. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, so many other things. that You just start looking at it and you say, you know, somebody had some knowledge about the future. It just had to happen. There was a, the ancient Egyptians have proved that time and time again. You see hieroglyphs all over the, all over the Giza Plateau, um, specifically helicopters. Mm-hmm. Jets, and I'm not talking about like some some you know grinded thing with a rock on another rock, and it, may, it vaguely resembles you know there, those could be some helicopter chopper things there. <laughs> I don't that could be the tail. No, I'm talking about a detailed picture on a rock wall of a helicopter. Yeah, there's always you know what if time travel is real, there has to be some evidence. It's not going to be easy to find because time travelers are people that don't want to leave any kind of evidence behind because they're always afraid. Again, they don't understand the nature of time being a circle. You can jump in and out of any time. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that they're probably not going to change the future, but rather become a part of it. But there is that fear out there. Oh, my goodness. You know, you know, it's like the old story where you can't go back and kill Hitler. Well, you probably wouldn't be able to. You see, that's the point. You wouldn't be able to. It's, it's all about time being, there's certain things that are set, certain things that are not set, certain, you know, and even when you think you're making a change, you know, we think about history today. Suppose you woke up tomorrow morning and history was completely different. Well, you would never know the difference. That's the problem. Yes. It would, it would all happen around you, and it would just become a part of what you already know. So in a sense, even if you did change time, the problem is you'd never know it. <laughs> That's the freaky thing. And when you talk to Preston and Alan Duncan, you get a strong sense of that. You get a strong sense that these guys have already experienced several different realities. And, you know, apparently <laughs> they're not willing to share. You know, they may have some memory of it, but they're not going to tell you. Like with the thing on about 9-11. I mean, that really, that really blew my mind, their ability to predict the uh, terrorist attacks of 9-11. So, and then just shut down on it. Say, you know what? We're not going to talk about that. We'll talk about anything else you want. You know, I'll tell you all about my secret days with the CIA as as a radio guy. I'll tell you about that even though I'll probably go to jail. But I'm not going to talk about this one thing. That really freaked me out. And that's the thing. I mean, we have they, one minute. We got one left. minute. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> Why don't we do a special show? We could have went as long as we wanted. I know, <laughs> but we didn't. But I have to say, um, you, you know how you, you've mentioned your videos. I know I started by mentioning your videos, Bill. They changed my outlook on a lot of things. Um, I want to encourage people to go to www and, and I never and we don't pimp, I don't, we don't endorse pimp, we're not big I, we're not big pimpers around here. I we normally really do like not it. endorse anything I, I present it and I and I let people say you know um, oh go buy my book or oh do this or oh do that um, but uh, I I could uh, go on record as endorsing your videos um, and saying uh, 
the Bill Nell videos, if you go to www.ufoguy, is it? Yeah, yeah ufoguy.com. Yes. UFO and uh, it's all there for you. And there's, you know what? you, you got to take the time. If, if your listeners go there, please take the time to read some of my articles on the Philadelphia Experiment before you do anything. Just take some time to read them because I think I've got a good capsulation at least of what went on with Montauk in Philadelphia. And it'll kind of bring you up to speed on things we didn't have time to talk about. It's all free. Yeah, it's all available I mean, regardless online. of a solid two hours of working on this thing, I don't think well, we... I don't think we... We covered a lot, and that's but there's what, a lot more to cover. Right, we just basically glossed over all the things, but the, there are the, so many those details. articles are what first drew me to you, Bill, is because you you know, you know write these articles and they get on uh, paranormalnews.com. And... Uh, uh, and I was like, wow. absolutely enthralled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I, that's why I had to contact you a couple of years ago and say, oh, I have this little show, and can you do it? Well, since then, <laughs> since then we've got a lot more technology here at the Ghostly Talk Studios. We've got, <laughs> we've got um, uh, we also have uh, a, a, a bit of a listenership. Uh, a, sort of. We got we went more. from like two to four listeners. Yeah, now, we doubled like to four listeners, and and no, actually that's huge for us. <laughs> actually, uh, it, it got a lot better since iTunes, of course. Oh yeah. And and also we were on. We actually got to meet George Norrie. Uh, yeah. Of oh, Coast cool. To Coast AM. We got to we got to go on the show with George Norrie. We were on really cool. on his show. We sat in the studio with him. Shook his hand. Fainted. Um, <laughs> when when they brought us back around, we were on the air with him, sitting around the the, the studio. But you know what? You guys are doing something so important. I just want to say, it's not the big shows. It's not the the unsolved mysteries. The George Norrie shows, those are great, they're helpful, but you know what? It's your shows that are going to provide the truth in the end because you've got no axe to grind. I give you a lot of credit, and I think you're doing a fabulous job. And you give people a chance to tell their story, and those are the shows that are going to count in the end, let me tell you. Well, well thanks, I, I Bill. That, that's, a, that's very cool coming from thank you. you. That oh, blows us away. Yes, because <laughs> I, I highly respect uh, everything I mean, you I, do. You know, I used to go on, I'd go on ABC in New York, and I'd, a lot of times I was one of their most popular guests, and I'd be on from like 9 o'clock at night till you know, 2 in the morning with people. You know, here I'm brought, we're knocking out 50,000 watts hearing me up in Canada, down in Florida, mm-hmm. on one of the biggest stations. And you know what? There was a limit to what I could say or what they'd let me say. But I can go on your show and I can just talk. And you know what? Mm-hmm. That's far more useful and important to people. I really hope, hope you guys keep up the good work. Thank, thank you, you We will thank try. You, and can thank you, you, Bill. Can you hang on the line for one second, Bill? Sure. Hang on the line for just a little bit while we close the show. Yeah, we got to get out of here. I do want to say thank you to Odorous Urungus, Dave, <laughs> of, of Guar. It's, uh, coming, it's so funny coming from hearing that come from Doug. Because, <laughs> you know, the rest of us are like, Odorous Urungus, man, from Guar. And you're Odorous Urungus <laughs> is a wonderful guy. Mr. Odorous Urungus. <laughs> Mr. Urungus. But he was, he was absolutely fascinating. He and was totally a lot of things. I want to, the first half hour of next week's show, mm-hmm. I want to talk about him. I want to talk about a lot of stuff. But, okay. But him too, mm-hmm. and, and my impressions of him and, and how good they are. So Odorous <laughs> Urungus, I'd like to thank him. I'd like to thank Guar. I'd like to thank uh, Bill Nell, of course, for being on. But all also, of our wonderful affiliates. I want to thank all the affiliates. Omnisound uh, Radio One. Mm-hmm. I want to thank um, all of the... I, I, I'm not going to list them because we have to close the show, yeah, but they're listed on our website, www.ghostlytalk.com. There's a, there's a, um, a link to Bill Nell's website, www.ufoguy.com. Dot com. And, and uh, there's a link up on our website, and it will be there permanently. Permanently. Please go buy his videos. They opened up my mind. I hope they do the same for yours. But I also want to thank each and every listener. Thank you for listening. Podcast on the, on the air. Uh, through a, an internet radio station, everything. Yeah, and anything. thanks, Pioneer Radio, that's our home, pioneer.rollo.net. Gonna lay with the ghost by my side. Let the birds take to the sky. 
stay by my side Jay Allen Danilek is the author of Reconsidering Atlantis, a new look at a prehistoric civilization, the mystery of reincarnation, and the case for ghosts, an objective look at the paranormal. He is also written for Fate magazine and is currently pursuing a career as a novelist. The website is www.ourcuriousworld.com. That's our, O-U-R, Curious World. Dot com No spaces or hyphens or anything like that. Just type it all in. It'll take you there. And Ghostly Talk would like to welcome to the program, Jay Allen Danilek. Welcome. Well, hi, guys. How you doing? It's good to have you. Uh, we had you. Yeah, you dropped on a long time ago. I'm trying to remember. It was a couple of years it ago we had you on. It was years, yeah. I think. And like um, one of the things I've been doing here towards the end of the year has been I, I kind of like went through our... You know, all of our past guests we've had over the years and stuff like that and kind of said, oh, you know, who were the greatest people we had on the show, the people we really had a great time talking to? And you're one of those people that popped up on the list, Jeff, so you're back. Isn't that great? Wow, yeah. I, and the nightmares are almost over. <laughs> <laughs> There's been we'll a lot them going. A lot's happened. Yeah, a lot's happened since uh, <laughs> since last time you were on, though. Um, I, I, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> we know that already. Uh, but the one thing, uh, the case for ghosts, you know, and the one thing that really caught my eye on this is an objective look at the paranormal, which I thought was very interesting because it's one of the, I think one of the hard things people have with all the different facets of studying the paranormal. So I was wondering, you know, wh tell us about this. What's this all about? Yeah, how can you be objective <laughs> looking for something that's relatively invisible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like looking for oxygen, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I do believe that you have to approach all of these subjects uh, with an open mind, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go into it trying to prove what you already believe, chances are that you're going to uh, kind of work the evidence to your favor. You go into it with the assumption that there's probably something here, but I'm going to wait and see what we find. Mm -hmm. Then I think you 
you have a little bit better balance on what you're doing. Uh, also, you have to have an openness to it, or else you're not going to even look for these things to begin with. But the the scientific method is uh, observe something uh, and then come up with a hypothesis about it mm -hmm. and then come up with an experiment to test that hypothesis. So it seems like you should, like if you're applying a scientific method kind of thing to, to if you call this a science, um, then you should have something in mind as to what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the scientific method you know, they do go about it with an open mind. You know, my hypothesis is that, you know, um, a ghost can break a light bulb or uh -huh. something, right? So I design something, and, and I might find that, no, a ghost can't break a light bulb. I don't know, you know. You make that happen, dude. You're not going to be doing this show no more. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do. Well, my grandmother does it. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah there, there I, is that thing, yeah. <laughs> but I don't... Um, uh, yeah, I can't command her to do it, though. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to work that way. But, well, but you know, but so, so you should have something in mind, but I imagine you, uh, you're you talking more like you sh you may not passionately believe or vehemently believe something is so. Otherwise, you could skew your own evidence. Right. Well, I'm thinking back to, like, when, uh, when Pasteur was investigating uh, germ theory. Um, there was no real evidence for germs up front. He was working from the assumption that there was something out there that was creating sickness. So he was already doing his investigation from the premise that there was something that existed out there. Uh, oh, okay. I see. Yep. So, so the scientific uh, method is not just a matter of observing something and then trying to figure out what happened. It can also work the other way. Uh, when you're looking for multiple dimensions in physics, and you have to smash the atoms together and see if any of them disappear and all that kind of thing into an alternative or a parallel universe. Mm -hmm. They're working from the press that there's such a thing as a parallel universe. Interesting. So some of it could be um, uh, like, uh, maybe assumptions or something that you're testing yeah. or... Uh, or ID, you know, I mean, it's an inventive well, process I mean, we, at that point. We started point. out this conversation, you know, which is, I, I mean, I have to wholeheartedly agree. Well, we're trying to be objective. Well, you're trying to be objective and you're trying to be open-minded also. So yeah. that's, you know, in that, developing any type of hypotheses on these things, I mean, yeah, the sky's the limit. That, that's what the well, way I see it. Quite often the hypothesis precedes the testing. You come up with a hypothesis is what you think is going to happen, and yeah. then you do the testing to see whether it holds up or not. Right, yeah. right. Okay. And that's, the, that's firm scientific, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, scientific that methodology. So, so in, in Louis Pasteur, he couldn't see these germs, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't even know that they were there. He just had this idea or this hunch that something is there mm -hmm. causing these illnesses. Right. And then as they begin to develop telescopes that had the power to, to actually see these things, then they had to determine what, what are these things that we're looking at? You know, what is a bacteria? What does it do? Mm -hmm. You know, how does it affect our body? So it was more than just an idea that there was such a thing as bacteria. He also had to figure out, he had to work from the premise that they, they do something to us. Right. Mm -hmm. They're not just uh, some inert object inside our body. Then, so there was a lot of uh, assumption had to go on before he was able to really do any sort of experimentation. And I imagine, now that's probably just, and we, we probably only hear like his 
success story. Like, he might have had some really fanciful ideas that are in his diaries or something, or he told people that we'll never know about that we're just absolutely, like, if even if he repeated them to us, we'd be like, ha ha, that's not the way the world works. Yeah, initially he thought that germs, that that sickness was caused by unicorns. Right, right, for example. He gave up on that. Well, unicorns still made me pretty sick, to tell you the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you kiss them right on the lips. Yeah. But you know another another you know thing that just kind of popped in my head as we were discussing this is uh, you were talking about germs right and things like that you know and at one time yeah we could not see them because we didn't have the tools to see them we're pretty much at that point right now with ghosts and and well that's a what I'm lot saying of supernatural yeah stuff. I mean a lot of study has gone into ESP and remote viewing and you know anything that's had money thrown at it yeah yeah um, ghosts don't seem to have very much money thrown at them. No, you know. Um, so, so it's we're we're pretty much at the same. Well, what I'm thinking thing. though is that well, yeah. I mean, at that point where, you know, like we were just saying, you know, there there was no tools at one time to see these microscopic yeah, microscopic organisms. Right, and um, we have no tools to see ghosts. No, I mean, we we think we do. Well, <laughs> some people the think they do. But. You know, I was reading Jeff. I was reading on a blog. Um, somebody had blogged something that. Uh, um, you know, what? what's the use of EMF or whatever, EMF detectors, or what's the use of uh, taking photographs, you know, and what's the use of all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And really, my, I didn't answer it because I started typing the, you know, I didn't postulate an answer to it or whatever yeah. it is, um, because I started typing it out, and then I thought, oh my gosh, this is going on and on and on. <laughs> no one's going to read, <laughs> you know, seven paragraphs in response to just a quick question, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but the thing is, is I thought that all these tools that we're using, the EMF detectors, the dowsing rods, the uh, the the temperature gauges, the photographs, yeah. the audio recorders, the video recorders, all these things that we're doing, mm-hmm. we're pretty much just looking for anomalous occurrences and recording these things, things that shouldn't be there. And, and you know, because we don't know that an EVP is actually caused by a ghost. Well, no, we don't. We yeah. don't know that um, a, you know, a vortex is caused by a ghost. We don't know that, you know, any of this stuff is actually caused by yeah, a ghost. Yeah, all we're doing is collecting information as far as going out there and, and, and doing uh, this work or, or whatever you want to call unless it. Unless somebody has tied, you know, made you know made the connection between a ghost and all this activity that we're trying to record. Do you know of any, Jeff? Well, what you need to do when you're working with these uh, this equipment is you take it in uh, in its completeness. You don't take any one part of it. For example, if you're getting high EMF readings in a room and you take a picture and you get some kind of a vortex or even some kind of an apparition, yeah. then you're using things together and they reinforce each other. Right. And so at that point, that's actually using real science because you are actually uh, looking for changes in the environment mm-hmm. or any kind of images uh, that could be caught on different uh, frequencies, infrared, uh, things of this nature, and you're putting all of it together. Now, when it comes to the ghost part comes in, when you can get it to be interactive, when you can ask it questions and it, re- it, it has some way of communicating with you, mm-hmm. then you can start thinking, okay, now I'm dealing with something that's intelligent. It's not just some sort of uh, an energy inversion layer. Yeah. Uh, so it all adds up. You've got to put all the parts together. Then you can start 
coming up with a premise that I'm dealing with the disembodied consciousness here, which mm -hmm. is what we call a ghost. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, one of those, I think one of the ties together, I mean, that ties all this together, hey, nice segue, but uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things is that, I mean, we've talked to a few people here in the, you know, the last few months, as a matter of fact, that have said they've done these EVP sessions, um, and they were able to get verifiable answers. I mean, Again, you see, this is where we're, we're always bouncing back to this objectivity part. Because if you read something in the library about some colonel at, 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 a, at a place you're going to investigate, right? You go into the place and you do an EVP session. Let's just say, you know, his name was Colonel John or something like that, right? Or whatever. And you go, you know, is your name John? And then you hear something on the recording that says, you know, yes. You know, I've gotten stuff. Yes, or something like that. You know, or or maybe they even you even hear the word John or something like that. It's still we're always getting into. I mean, this matrixing thing is getting worse and worse on all mediums now. It seems, whereas yeah. you know, even with with audio, with pictures. I mean, Christ. Or did you front load the ghost or the disembodied entity? You well, know. if they're an intelligence, if they're an intelligent entity, like some people say they are, you could front load them too. It seems like also. Well, I mean, there's the trickster spirits that they say inhabit Ouija boards like crazy. Oh yeah. And, you know, so I mean, they could easily take on the persona of this yeah. Colonel but John. My, yeah. But the thing is, is like you know what I was saying, and I you kind know, of just <laughs> took myself off my own damn point was that I mean, there are people verifying things, you know, via EVP. As yeah. far as you know, getting answers, and they're able to verify these things. Maybe even you know, I, maybe after is what I'd like to hear. Is like you know, we he said his name was John, so we went to the library the next day, and sure enough, there's Somebody a guy named John, named John lives there. Yeah. But really, what you want to hear, you know, you do have to be careful with hauntings at a fairly well-known locale, because uh, that ha does happen where people are expecting a particular energy to appear. Yeah. And, and so they're already anticipating what, whatever comes through is going to be what they're looking for. But the cases that I've uh, looked at that were more interesting were people uh, would get into a conversation with something that would identify itself, and then later on they found evidence that this person actually existed. Mm -hmm. uh, those are pretty compelling pieces of evidence. Additionally, if you did have a trickster ghost, as you like to call it, mm -hmm. uh, that also would be useful because it would, even if it wasn't really the actual ghost of John, it was still demonstrating that there's paranormal energies out there, intelligent paranormal energies. Well, yeah, you know, but my thing that, again, what I'm saying concerning EVPs, and, you know, I'm not contesting anybody. I mean, we listen to EVPs all the time here. Uh, it, it's still the matrixing thing. I mean, there's only been, I think, you know, in the last five years, I've heard, like, as far as EVPs are concerned, where I, you know, and even then, it's still, we have a couple that we think are just absolutely phenomenal, right? I mean, they are, there's no doubt in our minds that these are some type of disembodied spirit that, 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 that manifested these voices on the tape or the, or the recorder, right? But are we being objective or subjective? Yeah, well, I, I'm hoping that we're being objective. And, I mean, there's only... <laughs> there's only well, if you watch her, you guys watch Ghost Hunters, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. It depends on whether we have time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, a, lot of, a lot of times when they do get EVPs, uh, they will ask the, the client, what, do you, what does this sound like to you? Because they want to see if they come up with, they can hear the same thing they do. Yeah. And right. that's the way to do it. You don't sit there and say, doesn't this sound like it's saying I'm exactly. going to kill you? Exactly. You, know, you want to say, what does that sound like to you? Wow. Exactly. And in, in the case of, like I was just mentioning, these EVPs that we've been milking for the last four years, <laughs> and we literally have been milking these oh, pieces yeah. of evidence. Oh, yeah. um, I've we done drag that. them out for anybody. Yeah, anybody. and I've yeah. done that every <laughs> single time with, you know, with people, as I've said, give us a listen, tell me what you hear. Mm -hmm. That's all I say. 
You know, or maybe even maybe I shouldn't even say that, huh, Jeff? I mean, what? I mean, I'm even. I mean, that's just a slight bit of front loading. Well, yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah, yeah. You hear anything unusual here? Yeah. I, well, even see. Just listen to this. What do you hear? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, right. how how generic do you want to get with it? Uh, but you know, and a lot of times in, in this case, you know, we do hear a lot. We we confer. They they give us the same answers that we got we got four years ago on these things. Mm-hmm. And there's only been a handful of um, EVPs that I've heard since then. That really have that clarity. I mean, I have a, I have stacks of EVPs, and I say that with big quotes right now uh, as I'm talking. Is that you know I've got tons of stuff I've clipped out that I've heard that I hear things, just things like help me or some weird thing. But it could, you know, really at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is just the environment, sounds in the room, sounds outside, you know, all types of things that are happening. So, you know, it's I'm just kind of concerned about the whole matrixing thing. thing, Matrixing, I can't say the word matrixing now, Doug, help. Good job. <laughs> Matrixing. Matrixing. Um, yeah, people- you, you know, that's right. You have a point. Uh, however, um, since we don't understand what process uh, a disembodied energy would use to create yeah. the sound, yeah. we, it's hard to really know because you're, you're kind of like flying blind. Yeah. You've got this evidence here. You've got this voice. You don't know how they produced it. Mm-hmm. So you can't really make a, a good critical decision about it. That's why you can't really prove these things because yeah. you don't really know what you're trying to prove. You're exactly. Collecting information, you're saying, oh, this is something interesting. What is it? I don't know. How does it make it? I don't know. Which takes you know? us right back to... Why are people getting sick? <laughs> I mean, because we, we don't know. I mean, it took a lot of work to figure out why people were getting sick. Right. Why do people experience these things, right? And that's the problem I think we have. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love going out and taking pictures and doing audio and exploring these cool places that, that, that are reported to be haunted. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, there is this issue where, okay, we don't even really know. There's lots of theories, but we don't really know. There's nothing been proven hand over fist like a Microsoft could. Um, <laughs> Freudian slip. Microscope could prove, yeah. um, you know, that you know that there's evidence like hand over fist evidence in that case. So that's where I'm like getting. I mean, that's. I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> oh, know? me too. I think it's fun. Yeah. But, well, and, I do believe that at some point we may get to the the, the technology together where we might really be able to have an interactive conversation with these entities. Yeah. And at that point, I think that would pretty well prove it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, well, you know, yeah, I'm with you on that, too. Um, I mean, I don't want to touch on this for very long, but, you know, I can just mention that, you know, the Spiritcom device. I'm sure you've heard of that before, Jeff, right? Right. And there was, I mean, this is back in the early, well, late 70s, early 80s when that thing was created. And I know... There's a lot going on with this, let's just say. But I, the things that I have my suspicions of with that is that I mean, like I, like I told you, Doug. I mean, the first time I heard about Spiritcom was Halloween night of 2005, right? Because I was at home listening to Coast to Coast AM, and I thought to myself, like, okay, um, this is like 25 years later, <laughs> you know, and this is supposed to be like the, you know, like this is proof that you can have. Two-way communication with you know with the dead, with people in the other you know wherever wherever they're at, right? I mean, why hasn't why don't we have these things on the shelf at your local store, like the the you know like 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 a like an iPod or something now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems as you know that there was something out there, 
You know, and maybe there will be something that comes along that, yeah, this is it. Here's the proof. Here's how it's made. Here's how it's done. There's no doubt in my mind that, this, that you know anybody's mind that this is done. Um, but, you know, but things like Spiritcom, they've come and gone. It seems like for some reason, um, and they seem to be two-way communication with the dead. But there's just a lot of speculation around that, I guess. So I guess that's what's pulling away from its validity. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, but, the problem is that ghosts are rarely predictable. You can't make them do things on command. Yeah. You can have all the equipment set up and everything going for you, and, and they just won't participate. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so difficult to prove them. And, you know, that's the, the part of the science that falls apart, is that you, you can't gauge their reactions or their responses. You can't predict what they're going to do. And if you can't get them to do that, then you have no real way of proving their existence. Exactly, exactly, and that I, and that right there again ties in with the why are people getting sick thing we talked. You know, you mentioned in the very beginning here, is that we have right. No way the only proof that we have, that, or idea that we can base it upon, is is the evidence that we have collected, plus the literally thousands of years of stories, well, that, and testimony that that people have seen them or, or interacted with them or whatever. Well, I think what it comes so. down to really is statistics. I mean, that really is what's going to, I mean, if that's going to answer any questions, and that's what people are doing now, which I think is phenomenal, is that they're they're taking this, I think Dr. Andrew Nichols was the one that mentioned that a while back when we had him on. He mentioned that, um, he's like, you know, I think people should be going at this thing now from more of a sociological approach, where, you know, let's start telling, let's start t- collecting all these stories and um, then start drawing, you know, looking at these stories and seeing if they have any type of fabric that makes them, you know, that kind of connects them together as far as similarities, and then start developing some t- statistics off of that. Um, that seems like that's where it's going to have to go if we want to get some real answers. I mean, it seems like any problem solving you do, uh, from what I've seen, whether it be at work or at home, is trying to find a pattern somewhere with something. Well, I think there are people who are working that, that yeah. end of it. There are parapsychologists who are getting the statistics together, but they work very much in secret because they don't want to release anything until they've really got some solid data behind it. So as a result, it seems like nobody's really doing this, but in fact, I think there are people out there. Well, as long as they stay off MySpace, I think they'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, get off YouTube and MySpace. They stay off the web, you know, and not, like, start up a MySpace page and start blogging about it. Then they're going to be okay, you know? I computed the chi-square of 6,000... Nobody uh, there would get it. it What? What do you mean, you liar? (laughs) Are you not Jason and Grant? Forget it. You know, whatever. (laughs) I mean, who are you then? No, no, I. But I do see what you're saying, though, Jeff. Is that you know a lot of people, and I think there are. That's an actually interesting thought. Is how many people are actually out there doing some really heavy work? Well, I have a feeling. I have a feeling, Jeff, that there's a lot of people doing some interesting work. Um, that they that they're not running around on the web bragging about. No, constantly. they're doing it on their own. You know, cause they don't want to. They have do issues. it on their own until they either come up with something or not. And and uh, and it's and there's a lot of really interesting work going on. I think, but we're not going to hear about it until either a conclusion is made. Or like, come on, ghostly talk. Or <laughs> or they write a book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or they write a book. yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot of credentials on the line too. I've talked to people who are. Uh, scientists about you know on different subjects and when you bring up things like the paranormal um ufos things like that a lot of times they're very open to the idea but they won't go on public record about it well yeah that's a career thing for a lot of people i know we've we've talked to people i mean a lot of people like at conferences and stuff like that and they're like you know okay i'm going to give you my phone number 
<laughs> but you don't give this to anybody else. And if anybody asked you that we had this kind of, I mean, not like CIA stuff, like I'm going to kill you if you tell anybody, but they're like, look, just I want to discuss this. I want to you know, give you my ideas, but I kind of want to keep it on the down low because I do have a career, and if they get this got out, they'd think I was some kind of weirdo and fire me, you know, which is really yeah. unfortunate nowadays that that has to happen. But, That's true, too. A lot of times that is the case. You won't get peer-reviewed, and, you know, you have nowhere to go uh, in your career. I'm, I'm always very admi- – I admire very much the people who will actually go out there on a limb. Um, there's a there's a couple of people, for example, who are looking for Bigfoot. They're actually anthropologists or primatologists. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they'll actually go public with it and be on TV shows and Discovery Channel shows and stuff and talk about it is amazing to me. Well, yeah. They well, have so much at risk. Well, that's like, uh, there's a, a very, very um, uh, down-to-earth uh, uh, fellow who is a historian. He is he really is a historian uh-huh. in the state of Michigan. Uh, pref- more more a maritime historian, and he does like very serious dry history, you know, like what you're used to, you know, and 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 Four uh, score, pretty much just goes yeah. on and on and on. And, mm-hmm. and that, but what happened is he noticed over the years. That he started, you know, hearing from because when when you're studying history, sometimes you have to go and talk to some people who remember. Yeah. It. So you're sitting there talking to an old salt or whatever <laughs> from the from the Great Lakes region, and and uh, and and he'll suddenly spill out with a, a a ghost story or something like that. So he he kept these, he wrote these down, but he didn't think anything of them, and uh, eventually, and I'm talking, you know, like you know. Many, many, many years of studying, you know, d- dozens of years of studying history. And then he's like, I, I'm going to put these in a book. These are kind of entertaining, you know. Now he's got, what, four or five books yeah. out. It's Frederick Stonehouse, mm-hmm. with, you know, uh, Great Lakes Ghost Stories, uh, who, by the way, has not answered any of my emails. But, um, <laughs> but Come on, Frederick, give us a break, man. But, but he, he's a historian, t- you know, and, and he just happened to collect these stories. And, you know, I don't... According to his little bio, it never had occurred to him that yeah. that he was ever going to write any kind of book like this. Mm. And 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 it was and it could easily now let's say for example he's up to write you know because evidently if you need a historian you you it goes through some process in Lansing I I didn't get all that stuff mm-hmm. but you can bid for you know whatever anyway so um, I want that story <laughs> yeah and. So, but he, um, you know, he may actually yeah. not be taken seriously by other historians if, yeah. you know, if they happen to run across this. Yeah. But, so he was taking a chance, but he's like, he made the case for it. He's like, I heard these stories. I don't know if they're true or not, but I heard these stories. They're they're historical, you know. They're, they talk about ships that sank. They talk yeah. about, you know, different things. So, you know, this I'm I'm putting it out there. It may or may not be true. Yeah. So, and I admire that. I think that's fantastic. And a lot of times, other historians might publicly disavow it, but privately, if they talk to the guy, they'd probably be very interested in the stories. Or they may even have heard some of their own digging yeah, through all the sure. stuff, you know? I mean, because there's a lot of stories that, you know, that they'll run across, you know, digging into history. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It's, it, yeah. Well, again, it's there a, is the public uh, view or whatever. Well, you know, and it's from a hobbyist level though too. A lot of historian type people, it's a hobby for them also. I mean, we, we, I think what Jeff you were referring to, and kind of what I hit on too, is just professional people who are physicists he, during the day, who are professors during the day. Um, they would really. You know, if they were to like find out, yeah, this is my hobby. This is what I do. Well, Stonehouse is a historian. He's not also a historian and mill worker or something. He, I mean, he's a professional historian. Yeah, he is a historian. Okay, yeah. then. Well, or okay. an historian. But I do admire. Make a living doing that. Huh? Yeah, I would be bored to death. Well, he's probably a teacher or something. I don't know. That's all he can really do. Well, no, when it's like being a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what do you do with this career? Oh, There's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was so insensitive of me. But anyway, what were we talking about before? Well, we no, we were just... That? Yeah, we kind of got I that totally point. lost why, I, Here's an idea. I think this is a good <laughs> chance. This is a good opportunity for us to take a break, I think. So why don't we do that? It's uh, hard to stay objective about ghosts. That's all I got to say. True. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we started talking about, objectivity. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break here? This is Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott Allen. And I'm Doug. And we're talking with Jeff Allen Danilik. Uh, we'll be right back after this.
And we're back. Oh, yes, we're having a lot of fun in <laughs> Yeah, studio. we're having a lot of fun Whee! here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking to Jeff Allen Danilek, uh, author of Recon- Reconsidering Atlantis, mm-hmm. um, author of The Case for Ghosts, and, and I hear there's even more coming. Yeah, do we want to get... What else are you Yeah, doing? what's going on here, Jeff? Well, uh, coming out next month is an objective look at UFOs, you know, kind of uh, the pros and cons. Uh, why are they here? Why would a, uh, an alien race come here? Uh, how do they remain invisible to us? Why do they abduct people? Do they do crop circles? All that kind of stuff. So I think people might enjoy that. That's going to be really, I think, a big thing next summer for some reason. I just have kind of a feeling. Well, that's quite topical because coming up in the next hour, we're talking to Bill Konkoleski, who's the Michigan State uh, Chapter President of MUFON, actually. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So yeah, MUFON's located here out of Denver. It's headquartered here. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Bill, uh, he's a... He, we we don't him. know anybody that high up. No, we we're not, yeah. We know Bill. So yeah, we know <laughs> Bill. He's pretty high up, so we're, we're lucky yes, to have... Yes, he is. No, he's a really cool chapter. guy. We, yeah, we got to meet him not too long ago, and he's a really cool guy. So this is an objective look, like you said, at, at, at the UFO phenomenon, then. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Uh, I, and there's plenty of objectivity there, too, I think. I mean, you could probably, you know... there. See, it's something I think we're moving into more now is, is studying the UFO stuff. Well, we've been talking to more and more people more about it. More and more it. people about it, Well, yeah. you know, it's 2012, a fast approaches. We're going to have to learn about it. <laughs> yeah, because when, they come, and, when yeah. they come and take us all. Yeah, yeah we'll ac- to, according to some theories. We better, we better get to know them a little that bit. That only can be tested by time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that I, reminds me, I've also got a book coming out next September on... Um, on 2012 and prophecies in general. I so, want to get you on then next what, September. You, yeah, I think that's coming out next September. Well, when we're we're to celebrate the launch of that book, we want to talk to you about that because yeah. that's that's something I've always been interested in. So, well, you know, and you know, we're crossing, we're getting ready to cross over another year here. We're like, as in, in a couple of short weeks, we're going to be. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be in 2009, right? Right. So we're like literally three years away from D-Day. 2012. Yeah, whatever you want to call yeah. it, 2012. Um, and, you know, it's obviously it's it's cool that you're writing something. Excuse me, writing something on that, too. I mean, high level, though. I don't, well, don't want to spoil the book. I don't know how we're going to do that. Well, all the... I'm just wondering what you... I can just tell you all the prophecies are all um, in doom and gloom, pretty much, followed by happiness. Or something I don't remember, but it's just it's just <laughs> well, not good. <laughs> what was that, Jeff? I look at the whole history of of uh, prophecy, doomsday prophecies in general, all the way back in you know hundreds of years ago. You know, those have been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look at the psychology of them a little bit, and also uh, I look at things. You know, what what really uh, is dangerous out there? What really isn't? Um, people, for some reason, they're just uh, fixated by doomsday. And I'm hoping that maybe in reading this that people will have a little bit more rational approach to it and, and say, you know, bad things might happen, but probably not. Well, something <laughs> well, I we t- had we had a wonderful mini doomsday uh, in you know 2000 for you know from 1999 to 2000 that everybody was ready for the worst. You know? Oh yeah, there was oh. a Y2K bug thing. Oh yeah, yeah. hospital yeah. equipment was going to fail and yeah, your and car wouldn't go and food won't grow and you know I mean and you, I looked out the window <laughs> and it was like just chirp 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 yeah, chirp was everything was you know before, yeah. and that was really you know that was really creepy because I you know what I found kind of cool is I mean I remember it was New Year's Eve 1999 
And <laughs> I mean, I was actually, this when I had my first apartment and I was like, just, it was, it was, you know, obviously here in Michigan, it was always cold outside. So I'm in the cozy, warm apartment, cleaning the apartment, getting all my stuff done. And I was watching the TV and I was kind of cool. I was watching like, you know, New Year's start in all the different countries. Cause right. I, mean, I don't know how the hell time works, but yeah, they started at the other side of the New Year's. Yeah, it's New Year's line, there, but it's not yeah. New Year's here. And it was really festive and fun. And I'm like, well, we're all going to die in a couple hours. I mean, but I thought that was weird too. Cause I'm like, well, it's New Year's there. And they're alive. As a matter of fact, <laughs> they're partying there. He could have like turned the lights off just at midnight. Really got you going there. <laughs> well, they're partying. They're partying though. They're having a good time over the other side of the world. So, and then you know, like I said, it came and went for us too that night. And no, no one died. I didn't really hear of any. There was, it was pretty mellow very, here very in Michigan. Minor things that they just you know okay that didn't work so. Well, yeah. Shut it down, but any critical system had already been patched. But. Yeah, so people are still drinking bottled water from New Year's, you know, and stuff like that. I'm sure, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking it's. Gonna, I mean, a lot of the same stuff. I mean, t- hey, quote me on this, whatever. I'm really thinking that 2012 is going to come and go. You know, a couple people are going to self-immolate themselves. Oh, we're all going to die, and they shoot themselves. Well. Good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't, but you did. You did, yeah. So I think. It's well, then come we and go. Can, then he'll appear in the case for ghosts in the next. Book. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> it all comes together at the end. Yeah, yeah. So you it's see, it all makes sense. I want to, you know, we uh, we talk. I, I said this now twice, reconsidering Atlantis. Uh, you know, a new look at a prehistoric civilization. Well, here's the thing about Atlantis, and then and then of course the mystery of reincarnation. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. Atlantis reincarnation. This is two topics that are prime topics uh, that were discussed by Edgar Casey, who, by the way, is somebody who I really, really, really dig. You don't say. And no, really, I swear. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, both Atlantis and reincarnation. He yeah. he started talking about in his like little sleep things where he would give these readings, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So. What brought you into the top? I know these are are these older books. Uh? Well, the reincarnation book uh, was my first one. It came out, I think, two thousand and three or four. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that led to the ghost book, and then the Atlantis book came along. So uh, they weren't really related to Edgar Casey. Oh, by the way, I talk about him in my prophecy book. Oh wow! But uh, to go back to your point, yeah, he uh, he kind of <laughs> started the idea, but. Uh, he really did influence me that much. Now, these were kind of my own little uh, explorations I was doing uh, when I was kind of looking around for something to believe in, coming out of uh, 20 years of being an evangelical Christian. Ah, uh, yes. And so I kind of went down this path and explored some of these different things and uh, just kind of wanted to share with, uh, with the universe what I had learned and see if it helped anybody else. Well, it certainly does, but you, so you ran across Atlantis and reincarnation... From what did you know, Grandma tell you the, about them? Or you know, <laughs> well, when I was a teenager, I was into all that stuff, Bermuda Triangle and all. So I was already kind of had a background knowledge of a lot of these things. But it wasn't until I got into my forties that I thought, you know, maybe I could write. And so I started putting some of my own ideas together, and that's where a lot of this material comes from. But these are things that I've been aware of for quite a while. I haven't come across too much that is really shocking to me that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that Casey uh, believed in these things, even though he was himself a very strong Christian. Right, and and he didn't really believe in them. I mean, he w- in his waking life, he thought they were entertaining. Eventually, he learned to trust this information that he got. 
through you know sleeping but um but at first he was absolutely flabbergasted and against it you know because reincarnation and and christianity don't go hand in hand very well no well, you do the research and you find out that the gnostic christians were reincarnationists and so it was an element of the early church that just sort of was kind of phased out uh, but I think the thing with Casey, how he got into it, was he was trying to, to uh, diagnose people's illnesses. And a right. lot of them had to do with past life uh, traumas. Right. And, and that's how it sort of slid into it. He was never crazy about the idea of past lives, but he understood that it had to, some sort of a medicinal effect on people to talk about it. So right. The, it. Yeah, because what, what it is is because he was, you know, a heal they call it the healing prophet, right? Yeah. And, uh, or sleeping prophet, he, and, and for healing. And what he would do is he would, you know, um, uh, sometimes a, you know, somebody's entire outlook right on life and entire attitude entire everything had to do with what who they were before so then he started um you know doing more like these life readings instead of uh specific medical readings and so that's how they got a lot of the atlantis material and the reincarnation material but but it did start out with with people who were being affected in their current life by things that happened in previous lives, mm-hmm. and so wh- which of course was all news to him because he had no, he's like no 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 this, this is not the way it works. But you know, then again, how could he? You know, I guess if you accept the fact that he could heal somebody by just going to sleep and talking about them, uh, you might have to at least pay a little bit of attention to this other stuff that, that started coming out. And so he did, and yeah. and evidently it helped people. But Atlantis, according to him, and and I don't know about according to your information, but according to him, was a fantastic place. And specifically, I want to talk about because we're having a little bit of an energy crisis, you know, where mm-hmm. where for some reason gas is really cheap, but everyone's still upset. Um, although, <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, what? Okay, if they used crystals for power, they had these big sun crystals or something, and they 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 made the power go through the air and and power. Now that sounds very sci-fi-ish. Do, who is anybody else saying that that kind of stuff happened, or was that pretty much just Edgar Edgar Casey? Well, I think there's uh, a lot of New Age people kind of picked up off of uh, Casey's theme uh, with the crystals and all this sort of thing. My take on it is a little bit more uh, pedestrian. I kind of see uh, Plato's writings having to deal not with a specific real place, Atlantis being a real genuine place that existed, but as a metaphor for a civilization that existed prior, uh, prior to our present civilization. In other words, like an Ice Age civilization. Uh, oh, I see. Across the face of Asia. Um, my, my premise in my book is that if uh, if humanity arrived at a, a level of technology that it's at today, and then destroyed itself, let's say twelve thousand years ago, what evidence would there be left of it today? Oh, exactly. I remember this. Okay, so the thing is, is that you probably wouldn't have any evidence of it today. It'd be all under the ocean, or it would be you know rotted away. Um, so the idea is that maybe man has reached that pinnacle of, uh, of success several times in the past, and each time for some reason destroyed himself, 
and had to start over from scratch again. And and I remember this because uh, I think uh, uh, you or somebody talking about similar uh, theory was said something that, uh, you know, if you put something out in the middle of a field and then don't touch it for even a hundred years much if not all of it's going to just decay and be reclaimed you know and and uh so but then you go thousands or tens of thousands yeah it's it's reclaimed you know nature will have taken it <laughs> and, especially any man-made objects you know uh anything that we can create in a factory uh, right. doesn't have anywhere near a shelf life as say rock you know something like that that would last for hundreds of thousands of years. Right, and even rock is, uh, of course, subject to erosion and, and other things. So, And, and evidently the, uh, you know, the, the ice shelf, even though it's millions of years old, is also, uh, uh, you know, subjected to, you know, the whims and fancies of uh, climate change. So, well, well, what I point out in my book is that if you go back 12,000 years ago, during the height of the Pleistocene Ice Age, the water levels, the ocean levels were about 400 feet lower than they are today. Mm-hmm. They do that, the entire Indi- uh, uh, Indonesia archipelago becomes one big continent about the size of Europe. So if you had a civilization, that would be a good place to put it. And then once the water levels went back up 400 feet, most of it was submerged. The South China Sea, all of that's only a couple hundred feet deep. First by water and then by the silt that covers it. And the, yeah, exactly. The yeah. And, so I mean, we don't even—we're not even close to having the technology to even see what's under there. Right. So I, I'm not at all surprised that we can't find it. But I just work—it's kind of a, a kind of a fun book that just kind of asks, "What if? How how would it have really worked if there really was this modern civilization 12,000 years ago, and what might have destroyed it?" And so it's just kind of a—it's one of those kind of books. I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm just saying that you know, it's kind of a different way to think about it. And, and which is fascinating because it's kind of sad. Because uh, you got to figure, okay, if if things do go awry in 2012 or shortly thereafter, and doomsday is upon us, um, the folks, uh, you know, uh, 20,000 years from now are may not even we're going to be in Atlantis to them. Exactly. We would be someone else's Atlantis, someone else's mythology. You know, so that was my point, is that uh, whenever you get to a certain level of technology, you get to the point where you have the ability to destroy yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't get through that period without destroying yourself, you know, you're, you, know you can get to a point where you get, finally get enough enlightenment where you're no longer a threat to yourself. But until you get to that point, there's always that danger. And I believe that's happened before, and that's what Plato was alluding to in his writings. It wasn't, he, was, he made up Atlantis as this kind of a, a metaphor, but he was actually alluding to something that really had happened in the ancient history that was known even from his time. How interesting. And it, would there, there's absolutely nothing that you can think of that could be evidence of this that we could recover now. I mean, well, not in terms of an artifact, but I do wonder why. If you look at the middle uh, at Asia, the entire continent of Asia, mm-hmm. there's very little oil in Asia. The only other than the Middle East, it's really almost no oil. It's almost like it's tapped out. And the question I ask in the book is, how do we know that 12,000 years ago they weren't using also petroleum, and they basically tapped out the petroleum that they had in in, in Asia? 
And so all we're having today now is what we can find elsewhere. Because remember the, the like the North Sea oil fields that England has? Right, yeah. That was all under ice. You know, the Alaska, all of that is, was all under ice back then. So that was un, uh, un, uh, inaccessible. But 12,000 years ago, what if you had oil underneath, uh, say, where Indonesia is today, which, by the way, is a oil exporting country, though very, very light amount right. of export. Yeah. So there is some oil in Asia, but why, why isn't there more of it? That's the question I ask in the book. You know, is it just, uh, just, just never formed, or was it just tapped out? How would you know the difference? Well, that's really interesting. I, I don't know what conditions oil forms under, other than I'm pretty sure it's not, you know, uh, decaying dinosaur carcasses or whatever they tried to tell us back well, in the 70s. It's all part of that, but the, the thing is, is that has, that's consistent around the whole planet, and these geo, uh, petrochemical uh, uh, geologists who are looking for oil, they, have a, they know what they're looking for, and they'll right. go ahead and do the test drilling, and it comes up empty. And they have a pretty good reason to believe there should be oil there, based upon the strata layers and stuff. You know, they get down there into a tre- uh, test drill, and there's nothing there. Interesting. So the question is, where where did it go? Why aren't they finding it? <laughs> there should be all kinds of oil all over China and Indonesia and Australia and all these places. So maybe it got used up in the last civilization. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I saw There Will Be Blood. Yeah. I don't think you guys have seen it, though. No, it doesn't It's called like Seepage. Kind of I, I, anybody out there that saw the film, they're gonna, and this, you guys are gonna hate my guts after I say this. Sometimes you have a big ocean of oil under your feet. Yeah. You can drill other oil, oh, oils, holes in the ground, um, and seep the oil over to your area. For example, if you have a piece of property that yeah. doesn't have any more oil on it, right? But you know the people next to you who own the oil. You can be a thief and steal the oil, from what I understand. So you can drill in the ground, pull the seepage, and then refill your hole, and then pull, pump the oil out. So, Well, you know, that's how Kuwait got invaded by Iraq. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. They, were drilling, they were drilling at a diagonal angle yep. into a, what seepage. was thought to be an Iraqi foil, uh, field. <laughs> has nothing to do with this conversation whatsoever, but hey, I just wanted to throw it in there. To, to, to and you don't have to do with any evidence for Atlantis, and that's the best I can come up with uh, right there. Well, so. I think I, it, it's not bad. It's actually not bad. I mean, because, you know, 10,000-year-old um, evidence is kind of difficult to find. Yeah. You plus, know, the fact t- that it, plus the fact that that mythology exists in so many different unrelated cultures. They all have a similar kind of flood uh, mythology, and yet a lot of these cultures never interacted with each other. So the question is, why do they all have their own mythology? Unless they're not all relating to a similar event perceived through different cultural lenses uh, many, many generations later. Do you think we'll ever have time travel and be able to go back and answer some of these questions? Or Yes. You do? Cause no, I, I don't know. <laughs> You asked the question. Sure, you know, no I, problem. I was yeah, really excited there for a second anyway. But. <laughs> Who knows? You know, and the question is, if you did do that, what, what, uh, how would you mess things up? You know, if you could really go back in time. Well, to create a paradox like that, you know somebody will do it. Oh, someone's going to do it. You know, they already have happened. You know, maybe the, the the history that you're remembering right now. Somebody can't make good. Microsoft Windows work properly. I don't expect anybody to go and <laughs> hop into some type of time traveling machine. And well, that's actually a dumb thing for me to say. It's very Micros- difficult. I hope Microsoft make- doesn't write the OS for it. That's yeah, all <laughs> I'm saying it'll be like it'll probably be a Mac that does it. So. Oh my gosh, it's the blue screen of back in time. Yeah, okay. it'll be a Mac, and we'll never have to update it ever again. Oh, that'll be awesome. Just, On a DeLorean, and it'll smile. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, <laughs> insane. Yeah. The um. So then, then it's totally unrelated to uh, reincarnation. Mm-hmm. How do you think reincarnation works then? Well, I believe that we, uh, our soul generates multiple personalities into each incarnation uh, to experience different aspects of existence. Uh, for example, you can't experience hunger or, or, or contentment unless you have unhappiness and things like this. So right. God's way of sort of experiencing itself through us. See, hunger, unhappiness, oil, they all make sense to me now. Well, well, <laughs> there's a lot of people who believe that... Um, there's a lot of people out there today who are reincarnated Atlanteans. Right. From 10,000 years ago. They get, that's where they get this environmentalism from. Oh, okay. From so they're all the hippies then. Yeah, all <laughs> the hippies and the DJs are all uh, reincarnated. Uh, they're all, yeah, they, they all left me, except they drive an SUV. That's the only non My girlfriend, my girlfriend's an Atlantean. Very, very much a so. A hardcore yeah. Atlantean. I, yes. I've had to, I've had to inherit the goat's milk soap and the all natural organic shampoos that I can't get my comb through my hair after I use it. Uh, but it's good for you and good for the environment. So okay, I'll, I'll have to live with that. I thought women were from uh, from Venus. <laughs> Not my woman. <laughs> She's from Atlantis. She's from Atlantis. Yes. But no, I, as far. This is your segment. I don't even know where it went, but oh, reincarnation. Okay, is it possible to have multiple personalities on the earth at the same time? Um, I believe so, because actually, uh, these other incarnations are not really you. They're actually more like siblings. Mm -hmm. So when you are remembering a past life, you're actually seeing the memories of a sibling that was generated by the same parent's soul. uh, Through your own uh, current filter. Do you know your view on it is very similar to mine um because i i do think that we're you know like when when i die for example i'm whatever little bit of me is is currently here in this body is going to go back to um go go home essentially they call it you know going home or whatever of course they say it in a religious sense but i'm saying it and you're really going back to the rest of you mm. i think there's there's a part of me that exists outside of um what I currently can experience or be in touch with. And yeah, that's why I don't have memories from previous lives. Right. Otherwise, you would just be reliving that same incarnation. Exactly. Everything. But it's kind of like all, all of these incarnations are like little laptop computers that are all networked into a mainframe. Right. Mm-hmm. And the soul, the soul is collecting all that information taken from each little laptop. So as we die, the little laptops disappear. But the information that they acquired remains in the mainframe. And I've heard that same idea that mm-hmm. we've heard that for a couple of times from people where, you know, the human body or our that encompasses our soul, let's just for discussion purposes to say that um, it is uh, an, you know, it's a sensory, obviously our bodies are sensory furnaces. They, they have, we have six, six senses that well, while they may not be as sensitive as other creatures on this planet, they're all pretty, they're pretty well tuned. Our eyes are pretty, you know, are very, very accurate. We can see things. According to us, they're good. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can get that's a whole different conversation. But I mean, what you're doing is you do every day when you get up and you go out there and do your thing, go to your job or whatever. You're taking in all these these sensory type things, all this information, and you're and you you know that's how you live every day, and that's kind of how you survive too. As in fire, don't touch, burn skin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is how you survive, and I mean that could be. An, I mean, I've heard people 
with the same idea where we do our lives, part of our lives is collecting all this information and, you know, we take that with us as we go on. Um, and yeah, it gets fed into the big uh, ethereal mainframe in the sky, I guess you could call it that. So that's, that is an interesting idea as far, you know, and in, involving in the reincarnation thing and you keep, coming, and there's the idea why you keep coming back to you get it right and all that stuff. Or, there's a million you're not, really, you're not really trying to get it right. What you're doing is actually just experiencing uh, every, an infinite number of possibilities from an infinite number of perspectives. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you put 10 people into a rowboat and send them across the Atlantic mm-hmm. and they get to the other side, all 10 of them are going to have perceived that experience very differently. Mm, you know, yeah. They have very different ideas of how, what to make of it. They, they all have a similar experience, but they all are going to see it differently. And that's kind of what's happening with the soul. So it doesn't matter how many times you incarnate you know, into the same kind of situation. You're going to see it in a different way each time. Yeah, exactly. Hence the Jerry Springer show there, because <laughs> nobody can seem to agree. Jeff, unfortunately, we are. We, I'm sure we could go on for days. This is. I have to say, this has been one of the. We, you know, it's been a really long year here, <laughs> we've, and we've had a lot of fun. But this has been one of the. I mean, one of the most varied conversations I think I've had in a very. Well, long I know. Time with first somebody, we, which first is fantastic. We, we ghosted it up for the first half hour, but we've like bounced all over the place here. This is just then wild. Atlantis and and reincarnation and uh, yeah. Uh, wow, I mean, just amazing stuff. And speaking yeah, of, of which, uh, the books are, of course, The Case for Ghosts, an objective look at the paranormal, uh, Reconsidering Atlantis, a new look at, the prehis- at a prehistoric civilization, uh, and The Mystery of Reincarnation. So uh, all of that, I'm sure, at www.ourcuriousworld.com. And there's some other things coming up, like you said, uh, September next the year. The UFOs. Well, well, yeah. The UFO book, and don't forget the prophecy And book then, of course, September. the 2012 and prophecy. Yes, awesome. Wow. Well, Jeff, hang on the line for one second. Don't leave us. Uh, wow. A lot of fun there. Uh, I'm fried. we got to keep going here? Yes. <laughs> this, has been, this is Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott L. <laughs> and I'm Doug. We'll be right back after this.
Mufan Koleski is director of the state chapter of the Mutual UFO Network for Michigan. MUFON is the largest civilian UFO research organization in the world. Konkoleski's media exposure has included television appearances on ABC's Peter Jennings, Seeing is Believing, and sci-fi channels, Abduction Diaries. He has also worked as a consultant to the History Channel's UFO Hunters, and is a listed contributor to the books Filer's Files, Worldwide Reports of UFO Sightings by George Filer and David Twitchell, as well as Weird Michigan, your travel guide to Michigan. Michigan's Local Legends and Best Kept Secrets by Linda Godfrey. Yeah, we've had her. She's dropped in before. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Konkoleski can regularly be seen delivering public lectures in the Detroit area on UFOs and related phenomena. The website is www.mimufon.org. That's M-I-M-U-F-O-N.org. And welcome back to Ghostly Talk, Bill. Thanks for having me back. You were, you were here not... In well, yeah, as you can. What, what are you doing here? You're here. <laughs> First of all, you're not on the phone. You're in studio. That is so awesome. Yeah, um, and you're one of the. I guess you're one of the proud few because you're. Yeah, you've been on the show. This is your second time. Um, first of all, I think you got like maybe the closest gap as far as like visits to the show. Uh, you also have to put under your cap is you've been you've actually been on the show. Uh, you never usually people just phone in and stuff like that, but you've been here, so that's mm-hmm. even, yeah. So yeah, you 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 got a record here. We gotta hang give you a plaque or something like that. <laughs> Thanks, because we were with uh, we 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 yeah. got to see Bill speak at the um, Michigan what the. You're going to figure this out on your own. I'm this done. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's the one by... Um, <laughs> Cindy's listening. The one by Cindy's Groove. It was at the. It was in Garden City. Okay. Um, Michigan Ghost Watchers Convention. You got conference, it. Conference. Michigan yeah. Ghost Watchers Conference. You got uh, it. It was just uh, back in October, yeah. early October. So you're here again. Uh, and yeah, we like we said before, we have to see you speak at the conference. And I think I told you, you know, not just weeks ago, <laughs> really, because it was just weeks ago you were on the show, that it was a lot of fun. We had, we really enjoyed your uh, your talk. And, Thank you. Now, this was recent, too. You guys actually just had a gathering not too long ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago in November. Even if I wanted to go, I was on my deathbed with a cold over you know, over that weekend, so I wasn't able to make it. I know, I know, our very own Tom Mott actually went, mm-hmm. uh, and I think didn't we have one of our other people? Did he wear a tinfoil hat? Yes, uh, uh, Jackowitz. Uh, oh. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Huh? <laughs> there was another gentleman there that was also at the, uh, the the paranormal conference, as well as Chris Bailey was there. Chris Bailey, no, that's what yeah. I was saying. Yeah, Chris Bailey showed up there too, which is again we got a reunion because your your wife's sitting behind me here in the studio, who we mm-hmm. went to school together. Chris Bailey, we all went to school together, and now we're all kind of hanging out again, which is really cool. Um, how did that go? I mean, because I really I, I told you at the conference, I'm like, okay, look, I really want to get involved. With MUFON, I wanted to start doing some stuff, to which I have not done a damn thing yet, of course. Yeah, his follow-up. That's, is, that's my follow-up completely yeah. sucks. Um, but how did that go? As far as these gatherings are concerned, what did you guys do that at this particular gathering? Um, at all of them, we have a field investigator uh, training in the morning, which is where we have uh, a gentleman uh, that's been a, one of our senior investigators uh, for several decades now, uh, Gary Gallum. Mm-hmm. He uh, went over some... Uh, different aspects of investigating UFOs with the group mm-hmm. as as well as did some role playing um it was actually the largest class that I've ever seen uh this last November so that was really cool mm-hmm. and then for we had the brunch we always have a a nice uh, brunch to break things up and then yeah. for our afternoon speaker we had uh, Dr. Chuck Leitzow uh 
who investigates just about anything you can imagine and does it quite well. Uh, crop circles, UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, ghosts, or okay. just uh, the whole line. Well, that, that actually makes me. That's interesting because that, I'm sure you have people like you know in our you know doing the show and in our field of study. We obviously with the show we we cross boundaries left and right within the paranormal, and we've learned that the paranormal is just. <laughs> It's a huge, you know, group of things. It isn't just ghosts or UFOs or anything like that. Do you have a lot of people that that are involved with MUFON or, you know, that you come in contact with that kind of cross over, like, all these different things? I would say probably most, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, I think if you saw, I think you guys saw us speak at the conference, and that was something I think a point we really drove home was that, you know, we're convinced that there's something going on. I mean, in any of these different categories, I guess we can call them that. But then uh, you take them collectively, and it's what's wow, the glue? What's the, the glue uh, here? And, yeah, right. What is the glue? Uh, you know, I have to stop you there for a minute because normally we don't uh, we don't have any cause or reason to ask the guests what they're wearing. But uh, in this particular case, <laughs> because you happen to be in the studio, I can okay. see you're wearing some kind of shirt with some kind of saying on it. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could see the alien guy right uh -huh. on, on the shirt, and it said "keep on." And then I, I had no clue what, because you know you're keep on abducting, keep on abducting. Yeah, it's kind of a play off the keep on trucking. Yeah, keep on trucking, keep on. That's abducting. cool. And he's it got works. the 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 you know the I'm cool like. Yeah, because that's what they do, I'm sure. Figure, yeah. I, I've seen fire in the sky, man. I don't want to get abducted by anything. They're not like that. I, I hope not. If you ever want to, if you ever want to freak my girlfriend out, Amber, oh. make her watch that film. She you despises know, it. That's really. another thing. Um, I've run into to more people now in the ghost hunting community and and the different people that I get to talk to, going around to all the conventions and things. Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of people who are absolutely terrified, including Amber. Terrified of anything related to UFOs or aliens. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, just throw out a, a particular guest, uh, a guess that is um, with uh, ghosts. Um, you know, they there's that sort of non-physical element yeah, to it. Yeah. Right. Okay. I know. Well, that's why I keep what I've been saying about. You know, and I've been trying to make this kind of shift and start studying UFO stuff more. Like the guy that really inspired me was he was on uh, maybe a few months ago, Ted Phillips. I think you might. I think we talked about. I don't know if we talked about him or not. Oh, I did uh, go back through your archives. Did you listen, listen to, to that show? show? Yeah, excellent. That guy is fantastic. And I mean, the approach they had to you know studying this phenomena, uh, more like kind of like a CSI for you know like you know let's go to the place and see okay something happened there that's great let's go there and investigate the scene now let's not try to see what's in the sky let's try to see what's on the ground or whatever and see if we can get any type of trace stuff and that just blew me away because there is that tangible thing involved mm -hmm. with a UFO. physicality yeah too. there's yeah. something you know there is this physicality we yeah, have with you know where with the paranormal with ghosts and stuff like that and it's you know kind of hey whatever you like the most there is this this non-tangible thing uh that you know, kind of drives you nuts after a while mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is after years of doing research and stuff like that um so that's why yeah ufo hunting and and this this particular thing is just amazing to me Oh my turn! Oh, I thought you, you were giving me the you were darting me the eyes. So I'm like, okay, no, sure I was now. I was sitting on the edge of my seat, wondering, wondering what you were going to say now. That was complete crap. If, <laughs> anyway, if you okay, so I have read 
the Filers Files. I was an avid. I like grilling like, people like this. This is fun. I know. I've never done this. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, whenever I get, light or bills when I ever get really into a topic, I just like grill. You know. But I used to read the Filers Files pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. I I would download it off of paranormalnews.com. Mm-hmm. Um and and read it like every single was it weekly or monthly whatever whatever it came out weekly, I yeah. would I would grab it and mm-hmm. and read it and it's a it's essentially a collection of reports I mean just the one liner kind of things you know maybe a little paragraph but not like obviously an entire case file right mm-hmm. but most of these really are entire case files um I mean because you guys when you go out into you know you hear a report. You do a lot of research to support a conclusion one way or the other, don't you? I mean, there's there's the interviews, but there's also, you know, calling around to, um, you know, local authorities, and there's there, there's there's a whole thing that, of research that MUFON does with every case file that 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 you choose to uh, uh, report on. Yeah, certainly. When you see filers' files, it's uh, mostly unfiltered. Um, you get a lot of raw data. Somebody said they saw this, um, and that's before investigators have a chance to go out and, and really get their uh, teeth into it. Mm-hmm. Um, many of uh, the things that are reported to us are people who say they see flits of light in the sky that will last uh, a few seconds, um, and usually they overestimate the amount of time that they think they see them. And for those cases, you know, we do record them, we do um, put them away, and we're very glad to hear about them. But, yeah, there are those select few that uh, um, require multiple investigators um, um, going out and taking um, measurements. Uh, there was one I was at a few years ago. We took a radiation detector out. Thankfully, wow. didn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do still have your hair, so that's right. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and, and that's, of course, uh, the very exciting part. Um, any day, you know, um, you could wake up and there will be that, uh, you know, you know, the red phone will be ringing, so to speak. You know, the MUFON <laughs> uh, headquarters will say, yeah, we, had, uh, we have this hot one to investigate. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some pretty interesting stuff over the past couple months, too. Is it stuff that uh, is really making us say, wow, this, you know, just doesn't slow down. It just keeps going. It's just really weird stuff. What are some of the earmarks? Because you're talking about, like, you know, and we get the same stuff with ghost hunting stuff where we get a case or something like that, um, and somebody's like, well, uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll give you a lot of, like, trace things as far as, yeah, I think you're not really seeing a ghost. There's these things. And it sounds like you guys kind of go through the same stuff where you check, you hear the information, you've heard it before, and it's not that you're bored. It's just, the, okay, I think I know what's going on here. But I'm wondering what some of, like, the like some of the earmarks are that make you kind of your you know your antlers pop up where you're like this may be something we want to look into i'm wondering if there's some things that you, you guys Ooh, look for are you gonna give away secrets like <laughs> oh yeah I'm we sorry, always listen for the phrase silver pants <laughs> <laughs> and then we know we're really into it we've got to go and, and really investigate this well, um, one thing that I don't think is a gauge is how unusual the account is, mm-hmm. um, because some very credible people have said some very um, interesting things, and mm-hmm. so we don't discount it out of hand just based on how um, sensational it sounds. But uh, one of the things that, that excites us is if more than one person has seen it. Oh, um, okay. 
Um, also, if uh, they actually see structure to uh, uh, what they're looking at rather than possibly just a, a light, um, if something has been reported to have landed, that really gets us excited because we have people that can go out and check into that kind of a thing too. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the more visceral, um, the more hands-on, the more people. Um, sometimes if the witness happens to be a pilot or a police officer, that's... Mm -hmm. That's very um, exciting there because yeah. you know they're they more trained witnesses and in often cases would have something to lose by reporting to us and we take the information in and um, we um, as best as you know we can um, you know satisfy them yeah. that you know they'll remain anonymous and uh, you know which is something that we totally respect yeah. Completely. Yeah, and I'm probably going to get a thousand fiery emails for that comment I made about ghost hunting, too, because we've heard that before. <laughs> you know, there's been some stories we've gotten where it's like, okay, you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not going, just not a ghost. I'm not yeah. going to your house. You're high. Okay, go away. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but there's things, there's well, earmarks when you that deal, we hear, though, too. You know, when you deal with the public in any sense. I mean, it, this is obviously maybe even a little bit more um, <clears throat> leaning toward the uh, insane. Now watch out, man, because Bill's going to come across a table and take your head off. But there's when you deal with the public in any sense, you're always yeah, taking you're always a risk of, completely. of getting some, you know, some people who may not be able to accurately describe what they're what they're going through or yeah. what they're thinking because it's all happening in their head. Well, speaking of which, have you ever tried to describe a dream? Okay. Sure. I mean, you, you've tried... And did you ever feel <laughs> at the end of describing the dream, like, that's only like even half of it, but it kind of gets the point across. I mean, because it just seems to me that when I try to describe a dream, and I'm not going to do it, but it's when... It's about me anyway, so whatever. But when you describe a dream, when I describe a dream, I always end up with like... You know, well, okay, well, these people were there, and we were in this place, and then this happened. But when I was, like, experiencing the dream, it was, like, like just so incredibly intense. You know, mm -hmm. there was so much more information that I could pack into that story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the interest of expediency, I just, like, describe who was there, what we were doing, and where we were. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's got to be similar to that. Like when you're, you you know you you have this experience, this UFO experience, or this ghost experience, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you try to describe it to somebody. I mean, that's got to be, you know, how can you how can you take this this testimony down? Well, and you can't fill in the blanks because if you're doing it scientifically, you you know you've got to just say, okay, well this is exactly what they said. And that's all we can count. Yeah, well, on. Hi, go ahead. In, in our report forms, we do take into account um, any sort of emotional or anything else that comes into it. There's a separate spot for um, items like that, but we yeah we take it all into account. Oh, okay. It's pretty thorough. Hmm. Well, no, I think hindsight's always going to give you less detail. I mean, I don't think the human mind really, and I, this is really digging deep into the experience of UFOs. <laughs> but I, mean, I know we're totally. But no, mind. this is cool because I mean, yeah, anything you see, I mean, it, we, what we just get on talking with Jeff Danik about. I mean, you take ten people and you let them see the same thing, you're yeah. gonna get ten different perceptions of a situation, right? Yeah. Now, and obviously, what you guys are looking for is like, you know, you want to get multiple people seeing things that there may have different perceptions, right? But it'll all kind of be still surrounded around the same. Okay, it was cylindrical. Okay, and it had like you know like a red light on the side. And people are like, yeah, it had like a pinkish kind of colored, you know, old, you know, you're looking for these these ear, you know, like I said, earmarks where 
They're, they could be different, right? They could be, you know, whatever these people thought they saw, but they're all going to kind of surround the same thing, which is probably one of your strongest earmarks is, you know, how many, you know, multiple sightings with the same information coming back from these people, correct? Right, and uh, when we take uh, these reports in, and we've had, uh, um, looks like we're going to hit somewhere near about 150 uh, sightings reported for this year. Um, wow. Um, there, it's definitely enough data to be able to draw some sort of um, conclusions of, like, yes, several people are seeing triangle shapes. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, disc shapes are still popular. Abductions are mm -hmm. still going on. Mm -hmm. um, to make any sort of conclusive uh, um, decisions, we hope to really get the uh, attention of the wider scientific community to come in and take a look at our data, which will, yeah. you know, um, gladly work with them to help us out. Mm, okay. Speaking of abductions, <laughs> for some reason, I have this thing in my head, and I'm sure I thought you were going to tell. Movie. I thought you were going to tell the, the yeah. Story. No, I don't have like a thing in my head. Like a <laughs> no, nothing was planted there. <laughs> no, I have this idea in my head, mm -hmm. and and an implant. No, no, I just have an idea in my head that, and it's probably from a movie, right? Of an alien abduction is you're like sleeping at night and then all of a sudden like some heads come up in your window and they're like looking at you and they're beeping and bopping and then and then your body somehow floats up and then floats out the window and into your craft or into a craft and and I'm thinking okay um, it can't happen quite that way obviously but it you know it might but you know that's, that's obviously totally that, that sounds like something that would be in a movie that sounds like a movie abduction yeah but okay so but this abduction thing that happens then I mean I know it's a very real thing people have really reported this yeah. right but have there been like people see somebody getting abducted uh, because even even with you said fire in the sky he had run into the woods well that's what the, I mean I don't Every single film out there, it seems like they're always like tagging with based on a true story, right? And Travis Walton, I don't know how much of that film. And I'm, Bill, you might be able to chime in. This I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the film or not. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, yeah, it's a it's supposed to be an account, you know, from Travis Walton and the rest of his friends and stuff mm -hmm. that witnessed this whole thing. I don't know exactly how much of that's true, though. Right? So I mean, very yeah. little. Uh, yeah. Okay. There you go. Because I mean, there's been all types of talking. Yeah. Tell me, tell me. I want to hear about this because, I mean, we've been trying, we were actually trying to get Travis Walton on the show for a very long time. We just couldn't match schedules up. So what's your, I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. Now, in uh, the movie, if you remember, when he gets uh, um, taken up, um, he uh, finds himself in some sort of uh, cocoon with all sorts of other people. And That's that sort what scares of the hell out of Amber, by the way. Sorry. Type of a cocoon. Yeah. And then he gets out and he sort of just kind of uh, tools around the, the UFO until he's captured by the little guys, and yeah, then they yeah. uh, stick him down at the table, and all of a sudden you see this big long needle thing coming at him, and yeah. all of that is not true. That's that was just all Hollywood. The rest of the part, uh, the rest of the movie, um, pretty accurate. Oh, okay. Except the part when he's on the UFO. So Hollywood did that part just to make it disturbing and interesting for the viewer then, more or less. Right, yeah. And in a show, what had happened to him is when he got on the craft, he yeah. did find himself on a table, and he saw these little guys around him, and he actually managed to push them away, physically push them away, which he said made them nervous. Mm -hmm. And so he started walking around the craft, found out he was in a little UFO on a bigger UFO, mm -hmm. and saw some other people that looked mostly human-like, mm -hmm. and they came over and they sort of anesthetized him, and then uh, he woke up in the street. Oh, okay. And he did what I thought would be the logical thing to do in that situation. He pushed them around. Because, I mean, yeah, there were these little guys you mentioned. It's like, mm -hmm. 
Okay, look, just give them a crack, couple of cracks on the head, man. They'll back <laughs> off, I think. I don't, you know, well, I don't know. It, we're, we're talking about things that we have no idea about. But mm-hmm. he, he pushed them, and they backed away. They mm-hmm. got nervous. This big, strong person made, whatever. Okay, fine. So that's more or less your take on that, though. So that's cool. Well, that's, yeah, that's the, the story. That's the story, yeah, if though. you pick up, you know, his, uh, you know, his book on it, that's... Uh you know that's what uh, I'll be honest, I never I, I that's mm-hmm. I have not read the book I saw the film and like I said we talked about having him on the show which we probably would have learned that if we ever could have got him on but right. a lot of people say that you know there I have read things you know as we know everything on the internet's true but I have read <laughs> stuff on the web that you know people have you know there's been we have proof that Travis Walton's a liar and it's all been made up and it was done for that so it goes back and forth just like the ghost hunting community too but do people see other people actually get, like, okay, yes. so I'm, they do? Yep. And does it happen in a beam of light, or is it more like... That's I, how I we do, got on this thing. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering how we got on Usually what will happen is uh, um, the the witness to the event will become paralyzed and watch as uh, the greys take uh, the you know their selected target out of the environment and yeah there's a lot of floating through walls mm-hmm. and um it's rare certainly um there's no question about that um but yeah it, it there is enough of it um there's one really dramatic um example of it uh, which was uh, recorded in uh, Bud Hopkins book uh, witnessed mm-hmm. where um several people um, in New York, actually wit- witnessed a woman getting abducted out of her apartment. And the story goes that um, um, UN um, Secretary General at the time actually uh, witnessed it. De Quaylar, I believe it was the guy's name, and mm-hmm. his bodyguards. And that his bodyguards just went nuts. They They had a real... Uh, issue with having seen that. Well, of <laughs> course I can see their uneasiness because first of all, it's like weird stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then second of all, how are you going to protect... If you're in the business or profession of being a bodyguard, how can you protect somebody from something like that? You know mm-hmm. I mean? Right, right. It well, has you to say, hit them on several levels. You say this paralyzed thing, that uh, the viewer is paralyzed. Are they paralyzed because of some unseen force or are they yeah. just paralyzed by going... Wow. Generally, the we find a paralysis hits mm-hmm. uh, before the actual onset of the the abduction. Okay. So I mean, this is something that that's in, it's induced then more or less. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Wow. Is it? Is, but the technology behind it, because I mean, if I would think that if somebody had the ability to paralyze multiple witnesses, uh, the government would have invented it and been using it on us by now. I mean, I just really do, because they just want us to sit at home. Well, I, they have. It's called reality TV. <laughs> but but I do, I do, you know, I, you just think that they would have done that, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, the technology, is it, it's invisible, or is it like, you know, a blow dart? I mean, what, what kind <laughs> of technology paralyzes? Like, or do the experiencers just say they just dart I you like just, a like a baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there felt a little bing on the back of my neck, and then suddenly I couldn't move. And no. I saw a UFO, and that was it. Or is it? Or is it like like invisible? Like they pushed a button, and boom, all the muscles seized. Uh, it can vary. Uh, a lot of times we hear accounts where the paralysis just suddenly it uh, comes on and they, they don't know what caused it. Other times uh, there are um, examples where the entities will have a, sort of a wand and they'll tap somebody. Um, other times the paralysis comes in with the onset of like a, a color that enters the room and mm-hmm. or some sort of sense of energy that they have before the paralysis hits. Uh-oh. 
Interesting. Wow. So the delivery mechanism of the paralysis is mm-hmm. different, but it nonetheless the effect is the same. Right, and there's you know every reason to believe that there's more than um, one uh, visiting um, group. You know, so there in may be and, multiple yeah. technologies for yeah. the same kind of yeah. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Like, well, like Apple yeah. versus Intel. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we take a quick break? The Power 5 chip versus... Okay. <laughs> he's, start, he's starting to dwell uh, on the... He, I can just see the thought bubble coming up. Let's take a quick break here. <laughs> I think that's uh, a yeah, good that's idea. That's a very good idea. I want to hear some stories when we Yeah, we, we kind of like sure. really grilled you on all this, all this other stuff and, you know, I... Yeah, I want to. I know we're stuff. totally, totally, completely, you know, blew it out of the water. But I, uh, I want. No, it's really interesting story. stuff, though. It's, it's, it's. Don't forget, all the music on Ghostly Talk is independent music. Yes, it is. So yeah. enjoy that. So 
And we're back. We're grilling. Yeah, we're the, grilling poor <laughs> the Bill. The president here. of the Michigan uh, uh, State Chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. We're just uh-huh. like totally. And then what about this? And then what about that? And we're we're, we're like, well, okay, well that's probably not what he's used to. Well, no, <laughs> it's fun to be it's fun <laughs> okay. to be a layman. It's fun to be a layman, you know, for a change because you know it's usually we get people that are like you know so you know ghost ghost stuff and you know it's like well. You know, so we explain that. So it's actually fun to ask questions to somebody on a subject like this, and that, you know, even they may sound, even some maybe even ridiculous questions. But you know, there's you know, the sky's the limit with this stuff, in my opinion. So it's really cool to hear, you know, some ideas on abductions, for example. Like, you know, that's a great question, Doug, to ask. Like, you know, uh, has people witnessed this stuff for real? Witnessed an abduction? Right. I, I mean, because you know, I'm only uh, what I've seen in the movies or what I, I've read things on file in Filer's files, but I I haven't. Um, you know, it's I, I don't get a chance to study the UFOs as, as much as I would like to. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but, so, uh, and if, uh, and if uh, we're plugging other books, another big thing, uh, and I may be anticipating a question that you have, is, uh, you know, when you talk about... He's psychic now. <laughs> yeah. That's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about uh, getting, like, um, waking up out of bed and getting floated out, uh, mm-hmm. the wall, you know, that there is actually a lot of that, but... If uh, people think that's all there is to it, um, and I mentioned Bud Hopkins already, his uh, book Missing Time mm-hmm. is, oh, yeah. is excellent yes. because all of the cases in there, not a single one of them that is of these cases, is one of those things where somebody found themselves paralyzed in bed. So they're all, you know, I was driving, you know, I went by mm-hmm. the park, et cetera, et cetera. Before I know we want to get into some some actual sightings that yes, are but, recent, but, but first I, we have to say the website. Oh, for yeah, those do of that. you looking into it is uh, www.mimufon m-u-f-o-n dot org. So mm. it's the Michigan uh, Mufon dot org. Yeah, and I M-I totally forgot Mufon. what I was going to ask Bill now. My oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay, it's Doug. Just, no I was problem sitting at there all. Holding the paper in my hand. <laughs> Did you want me to predict? But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you read his mind from a bit ago? Okay. Time traveling yeah, UFOs. Yeah, you you get into. Do they travel in time, or are they like? Is there any of that, or? There's uh, a lot of uh, literature that out, out there that uh, suggests that, or at least questions it, and it seems like a a better than fair question because it it's hard to imagine what people will look like in you know thousands of years right. and. Um, and of course, one would think that in thousands of years we'd have perfected time travel. So a very strong theory about UFOs um, is that they're us in the future coming back, uh, doing their best to observe us, but uh, not interfere too badly. That makes oh, sense. It's all the cattle mutilation. Or, go, or come back and laugh. Like, God, look how stupid we were back then. Look at us. We're Do you ridiculous. know anybody who, or have you talked to anybody physically like yourself who believes they have an, you know, because I mentioned implant in the last half hour, that I don't have one that I know of. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to anybody who believes they have one? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, uh, actually, several people. Um, a close friend of ours, uh, David Kaywood, who uh, passed a few years back, uh, had a brain scan with uh, one in the base of his skull. And uh, they, he had the x-ray, and he would gladly show it off. Um, but he had actual proof. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, you know, he's he's passed now. But um, yeah, that was one of the the more interesting ones. There was another. There's another gentleman who lives in Michigan, um, who uh, showed up at uh, an abduction gathering a few years back, and he said, "Feel this. It's in my arm." And sure enough, you would pinch his arm. You could feel something under there. He goes, "Yeah, they put that in there." 
He goes, uh, he goes. But whenever I think I'm going to try to take it out, it starts to drive deeper into my arm. And he goes, I don't want that to happen. So you can feel it, but just don't try to take it out. And that was kind well, of it, unsettling. It feels yeah. like it's driving deeper into his arm when he tries to pull it out, or correct when when whenever he um, and uh, yeah, I, I know this is uh, going on the twilight zone. No, that's possibly. But he said it seemed to be aware when his intent was to remove it. Oh, that's a trip. And it would and it would sort of burrow in deeper into his arm, and so gross. But, but uh, most of the time, it would just hang out below skin surface. Well, did, did he? Stupid question, I have to ask. Did he actually? Did he? Did he ever have a doctor look at or anything? Or I mean, um, maybe I'm overthinking this, but I mean, I can't. I can't say for sure. Uh, one would think maybe you'd want to. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if I had something burrowing into my arm, the first place I'm going to is to see my doctor and go, "Look, get it out. I don't care where it is. You can take it to whatever, whatever, <laughs> anybody you want. Just get it out of my arm, because that would really scare the crap out of me. <laughs> have something. You said it would burrow. This was a mental thing, too, it sounds like. I mean, not just physical where, you know, he's trying to tug on it and the thing just burrows in. It sounds like you, you which from what you said, is that this thing could, it knew when his intent mm-hmm. was to remove it, too, mm-hmm. when it would start to burrow. No, not for me. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, I'm getting creeped out. Let's talk about some some well, sightings or something. Yeah, now. with with perhaps now I understand uh, Amber's problem with this stuff. Is that really kind of just put the hook in me, Bill? You said two, 2008 might be a uh, hundred and fifty so or yeah. so case in Michigan file year here in Michigan, and which is double last year. For oh us my in gosh! Yeah. You mentioned that. Why? Can I ask you why? I think it's uh, awareness and uh, a little bit more openness out in the public. Uh, uh-huh. Cable now is just deluged with different UFO shows, and people yeah. are hungry mm-hmm. for more. And they'll look uh, online, and you know, thankfully for us, the, you know, they're they're finding us and reporting stuff. Mm-hmm. The type of stuff that's being reported now is the type of stuff that's uh, been reported for several years. We're just getting more of it now because I think of public awareness. Okay, well, I have to ask this though too. I mean, because this is. We're experiencing the same influx with you know with the with the ghost hunting thing too. You, as you're aware, there's lots of TV shows now out there. There's lots of people playing together groups and things like that. Um, and yeah, I think awareness is a big thing. When when you're conscious of something, you're going to pay attention to it. Obviously, that's huge, and I totally acknowledge that. Uh, but as far as do you think maybe how do I say this nice? I'm not trying to like be a be a jerk, but I think you know what I'm what I'm, what I'm getting at. As far as like more sightings and stuff like that. Could this be well? There, it happens in our field. You know, me too syndrome. Or the me too syndrome, or jumping on the bandwagon, or or the bandwagon. up with the Joneses, whatever it may be, something like that. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's really a ridiculous thing. But I mean, it, do you think there may be a part of that too? It's maybe a small percentage or something like that. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any differences between like the UFO community and the paranormal community. It's well, I, I imagine if you were going to the same neighborhood, because see, usually I, I see that happen myself. I don't know about in the UFO stuff, but I see that happen myself with, you know, you're you're standing there telling somebody, yeah, and I saw this ghost, and it was ten feet tall, and it was wearing chains, and then somebody will, you know, come around the corner, and they obviously couldn't help over here, and they're like, well, when I saw a ghost, it was. 20 feet tall, and it was not only in chains, but it was also in silver pants, uh, you know, or what, I don't know why I'm on a silver pants kick, but yeah, what's they, up with that? I don't know, I, but anyway, the, um, you know, I, it, you know, they have to one up, you know, yeah, well, and that's, yeah. that's actually some kind of um, psychological thing, but, but I don't know if, um, 
you know, it, it seems assuming. like when you guys get reports, it's more like you know anonymous tip line kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then or 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 a, ty- a, a typewritten thing into the into the the web. It's not like mm-hmm. you go door to door. Did you see the UFO yeah, yeah. That, that you know your neighbor did? <laughs> and, and we do that sometimes, sure. Oh, but. you do? Mm-hmm. Do you? Mm-hmm. No one ever asked me. One <laughs> of your neighbors saw you. Well, no, I, I don't know, but if they had, I don't, I don't know it now. I mean, I, I'm just curious about that. Simply, you I know, they should canvas the neighborhood. You know, once you once you get a lot of meat. Go ahead. Are you all set? A lot there? of meat. <laughs> go? Uh, once you get a lot of media exposure like that, I mean, you again, I'm cool with the awareness thing. I think that's great. I mean, I think it's good for the you know ghost hunting thing. I think it's awesome for UFO stuff too. Mm-hmm. But I just think there is that. Unfortunately, there's just that part of it where some people just and, and it's been proven before. There have been cases of people faking stuff. As a matter of fact, you know, whether it be from the ghost hunting side or Bigfoot, they oh, just God, the big yeah. Bigfoot. Did you hear about the big the Bigfoot Georgia, thing? Yeah. Oh. How pathetic was that? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, that's, that's an example right there. And it, it really is a bad thing that brings down all these studies where people that really care, like yourself, obviously, it's a it's a bummer for people that are, like us too. You know, where we really are 190 so percent honest about everything. But there you know? is some kind of mentality, and yeah. you've got to watch for that. I mean, because the fellow was a, sh- uh, an, you know, he was a uh, uh, on medical leave from being a sheriff or whatever, which gave, him, which gave him some credibility. We just talked which about that earlier. Seems to be mm-hmm. a public, you know, a public facing mm-hmm. job. Somebody who's out point, there yeah. trained yeah, to, point, you know, and then and then uh, and then you're like. Oh great! He's totally made up a Bigfoot. He yeah. bought a you know a Bigfoot. Well, it's disheartening. I, th- I think you see what I'm saying though, and I think I think you know what I'm talking about. Also, it's just it's one of those things. I I'm just curious about that too. But it sounds like you know the awareness thing is the biggest part. So that's cool. That's just a big jump from so, like, the double in one year. It's a lot. But time. overall, you're saying it's it's like double the number of reports. But that may not be indicative of the number of sightings. Mm-hmm. It might that might be a function more of awareness and 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 TV, uh, but there may actually be the same amount of sightings, just some go unreported, right? Yeah, uh, I'm sure that uh, the great majority of them get unreported, mm-hmm. or um, sometimes reported to other uh, UFO groups. Um, uh, a couple points to touch on. One yeah. is with uh, regards to the 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 sheriff down in Georgia. Sure. Um, uh, um, the law enforcement can, you know, somebody in law enforcement can be as dishonest as anybody. Certainly uh-huh. there's, you know, corruption stories that you hear about in police and stuff. Yeah, we live but, in Detroit. I think we know all about that. <laughs> but if... Uh, Kwame. But if, <laughs> I can say that in one word. <laughs> but if, but if, uh, but if you, you take the witness as credible and they happen to be a police officer, then they can often give you a better yeah. uh, account based upon because their Because of their training. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, with regards to people reporting things, mm-hmm. I would think um, that if people were starting to report things simply because they got excited, they heard other people reporting stuff, yeah, yeah. that we would be seeing a lot more interesting accounts uh, than we do. People pretty much shoot from the hip, say, you know, this is all I saw. It was this flash of light. It took a 90-degree angle. I know, you know, meteors don't do that, and I just uh-huh. wanted to let you know that's about it. Are are we done now? You know, okay. Like that kind of a thing. <laughs> they don't like they don't like try to start up like their own UFO tour like through the country or something like that. I mean, oh, see, if it were a ghost see, thing, I'm, I'm, they'd no, be I'm just all kidding. Now, over now, the marketing. So yeah. A, maybe this just okay. Now I'm being a real prick, so I'm just gonna let it go. <laughs> no, I just be, see that with well, ghost well, with ghost they have stuff, a pilot. You know, it just seems yeah. like there's more haunted places now. All of a sudden, every place we go to, there's more haunted places out there. There's all these haunted places popping up out of nowhere that have this history of hauntings, and it's like, 
Wait a minute, this place was a Walmart last week. What are you talking about, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I, and, you know, I, I'm not trying to equate that to the UFO thing. And you answer that question, great, I think, where, you know, hey, look, if it was if it was people, like, into the whole sensationalism thing, they, be, they would be like, it look, be I was on a ship, man, and I had... Sensational, yeah. yeah. So, okay, all right, I'm not going to beat that thing to death. I am looking at this picture here. I'm really, I've been, it's been driving me insane, and we don't have a lot of time here because we've been, we've really just been grilling this poor gentleman the whole time. Uh, I wanted to hear all about... Did you about want me to hold it up for the listening audience? Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the one of the perks of being a host of this show is we get to do the we get to see this stuff. What what is this, Bill? Um, one of our witnesses. Uh, um, I'll, I'll I'll touch on the account first. Uh, back uh, in September uh, on September fifth, yeah. uh, a gentleman um, had an experience where um, he w- he woke up at five a.m. And uh, he was uh, outside of his home, mm-hmm. and he witnessed two unusual-looking UFOs in the sky. Um, noticed that there were two other people that were strangers to him also in the yard. Mm-hmm. Then, he, as he looked up at the sky, the sky appeared to crack open. And instead of being like a dark sort of night sky, it was a, a daytime sky, and these two craft flew into it. And, uh wow. And uh, he also had mentioned, yeah, during that brief time also that uh, there were, um, what he said, some grays uh, in attendance. Mm-hmm. And um, so the next morning um, when he woke up, his wife had already left the house for the day, and so he decided to call her up and, and tell mm-hmm. her about it. And mm-hmm. when he called her, the first thing out of his wife's mouth was he, uh, was that she couldn't believe that their daughter um, was so scared the, the previous night for seeing these lights flying around their house that she had to sleep in the room with them. Oh. So, wow. And so <laughs> I, I brought a picture because uh, just uh, to show you guys and to be able to describe uh, the, the unusual craft that he said he saw. Um, now, th- I have to ask, this is... A rendering. Yes. Like, okay. Oh, all right. This is not a real UFO picture. No, like, like, <laughs> Bill, what the heck is this thing, man? He made no. This is it fought Johnny Sacco, and no. Um, he, he made a he made a model of the the UFO, not to to, yeah. to make too light of it, because no, he did yeah. a good job, obviously, on creating it. Uh, and and certainly, there's limitations when you use household objects to yeah, yeah. create an object. But um, it was basically a red modeled um, sort of sphere mm-hmm. with a, a couple of um, beams shooting out of it at 80 degree angles, um, okay. in which there were strange markings on it. Um, which is out of the norm for most crafts, certainly that we see that it's tend the to first be first I've ever seen discs or uh, triangles. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it does give us something interesting in that if we look at uh, some of our sightings back through the through the years, and again this is a fresh sighting, we haven't found anything just yet. Mm-hmm. But if there is anything that matches a, a unique shape like this, then you know it's it's noteworthy. Okay. Did he get the impression that the beams were a propulsion kind of system, or were they just uh, there? Uh, did he get any ideas as to how it functioned? Well, um, one of our um, investigators for uh, Michigan MUFON, John Castle, was the person that had actually gone out to to investigate this directly. I hadn't heard anything in terms of speculation about why the craft was a particular shape, mm-hmm. which actually, in, in one sense, I think, lay, lends to credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if somebody was going to make something up, you know, they would put stuff on it that it would seem to make sense, a giant antenna on top or, you know, <laughs> arms coming out the side or something to grab them and put them in the ship or something unusual like that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That thing is really weird looking. It is. And I've awful. never, I, I honestly, I can say that I've never seen anything like that before. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's definitely unique. And <laughs> I'm getting creeped out, man. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been some sightings. We got a few minutes here, and I yeah. really want to... Yeah. To touch on, yeah, yeah. another one. Um, uh, recently, very much around the same date, <clears throat> it was Labor Day weekend that yeah. the, most of this was focused. Uh, now this is all. This is all includes the Michigan, I assume. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. The 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 first the the what I was talking about just a second ago yeah. that was in Hamilton, Michigan, which okay. is kind of in the Holland Grand Rapids area. Mm-hmm. And uh, this Ooh, next. That's by Amber. Yeah. Oh. Don't warn her. She doesn't want to know. She'll be moving here. Yes. She'll be here. Like, I'm in the next apartment over. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, one in Chelsea, Michigan, is uh, about uh, the next one I'm about to bring up, where a gentleman over Labor Day weekend this year, mm-hmm. for several consecutive days, at least three, saw what he described to be what he thought were craft at least a mile in diameter with flashing lights all over it, performing just these crazy dynamic uh, maneuvers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and his wife also, he brought her out at one point to see it, and she looked at it for a little bit and said she was bored and going back in the house. But mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't see... Boy, that's pretty lame. I'm going to go back inside and watch Good Times. <laughs> yeah, but he, but he Reality d- TV is on in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you're not watching it. The government says it's good for you. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. <laughs> but if, no, no problem. So each of these nights, he had actually, uh, um, and it's not. He was, you know, obviously pretty scared, and he had seen these things for several hours each of these nights. Mm-hmm. And then to top it off, right, the guy is a truck driver, mm-hmm. um, heads out on one of his longer hauls, and proceeds to see these same UFOs in four of the states he's driving through. Um, so Texas, Oklahoma, Indiana, Illinois, I believe, were the states. That's, which that's like. <laughs> that's a huge. I mean, that's the country. I mean, pretty much the whole. Right. The, the whole, that's a huge gap. I mean, to see the same things over and over again. I don't think our current technology could keep something a mile long or a mile wide or whatever in the air. Well, here's it? the thing. I, mean, I, I want to comment on this. I, sorry, Doug. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh yes, no! Actually, that's I okay. did. I did because you. I know. I've been in a mood all day. So yeah. I'll cut you both off and say we're still looking into this. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you know, it's it's the, an uh, the verdict's case. not in yet, yeah. but this yeah. is a very fascinating one. We're very interested in. We had a gentleman on a few weeks ago uh, named Glenn Kimball, who was not. Yeah, this is like the beginning of uh, uh, middle of November, and he talked about because he started. He's he's been doing some work with UFOs and stuff like that. Uh, and he has talked about seeing, he said the same thing. This is why this really, this it was interesting to see this, because he said he was out doing some observing, and they observed these objects that were like a mile in size, like, you know, long and wide. The same. He said the same thing, Bill. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I find that, I mean, I can put you in touch with him if you want, but... Uh, when I when I saw this, that popped up in my mind that he said the same thing. I I don't know if a mile has anything you know if it's any type of value or something that means something, but I mean I'm just telling you that there's other people that have seen this too. I mean mm-hmm. not just besides these people. There's another one on here too. We only got a couple seconds. I just want to get all these things. I know we've been trying to talk about this the whole time. Um, <laughs> no, but we keep interrupting. We ourselves. keep killing poor Bill here. Well, there were yeah. I think we covered uh, uh, both of the ones that had yeah. happened just in the like last couple months okay. that um, that I had suggested uh, because they were some of the higher profile ones. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, by no means do the interesting ones stop coming in. Like I said, every day, you know, you wake up and you could see that, you know, there's an, another 
really big and interesting one. Mm-hmm. This uh, um, one with the that happened out in Hamilton, Michigan, happened yeah. to be one of those where uh, we were able to send a team out to look at the ground and take soil samples and actually send it to uh, Phyllis Budinger in Ohio, who's uh, one of our MUFON investigators that does a mm-hmm. laboratory investigation. Um, so far, haven't come up with anything specific yeah. of, of interest in this particular case, but... But um, that there mm-hmm. is that extra mile being gone, though. That's why. That's mm-hmm. why I respect the you folks at MUFON because you guys really do go <laughs> and get these samples. And that's why I think it makes it makes the, the whole UFO uh, phenomena or hunting or I mean, I don't. Is it you? Do you guys actually call? You don't call yourself UFO hunters or anything like that, do you? No, I, I, well, not not in MUFON. But I mean, I guess so there was a time where I we, we were like we're ghost know. hunters. Well, but there's also storm chasers, storm and weathermen. Cha- yeah. So but I mean, investigators. That's very much the same yeah. thing. We go, we just investigate these things. Uh, but you guys, there is this tangible thing again, though, where you guys, you know, soil samples. We can take these things and actually look at them and see if we can draw any type of, you know, information out of this, which I find absolutely fascinating. We've got a couple minutes here. What's in the future for you guys? What's going on? Anything coming up? Anything new? Um, in terms of uh, investigations, you know, we have uh, more and more field investigators all the time, mm-hmm. um, and we are anxiously awaiting a, a 2009 that has even more sightings than 2008, mm-hmm. so uh, we certainly are welcoming any and all help of anybody who's interested in actually getting their hands dirty and actually investigating UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an excellent training um, set up for anybody who's interested in actually doing this and mm-hmm. doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we hopefully, uh, you know, we'll attract more members for next year and, and grow bigger. Hopefully you'll have one more member at least. I'm I'm really going to try. <laughs> I, I just, my follow, like you said, my follow-up work is horrendous. I'm just kidding. Your follow-up work is actually really, really good. It's just that... I I know and you know both how crazy our, our time work has schedules been. are yeah. ridiculous as of late and it's killing us. Yeah. <laughs> so. Tom yeah. joined. Tom joined. That's Yay. I now okay. I did hear that Tom joined. He he joined the collective. Tom is there. Excellent. And you couldn't get a better guy. Tom uh, Tom Mott, our you know one of the people. That, yeah. uh, he's part of Ghostly Talk. He works with Ghostly Talk. He's a fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are you, you, he's a. Uh, Dedicated 150%, so we can't say enough nice things about him. Fortunately, unfortunately, we have to go to break here. Bill, thank you so, oh, thank so you much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming out here and hanging out with us, too. Yeah, it's right really on. great. And, and look forward to hanging out and doing some work, hopefully, with you down the road here with MUFON. Cool, good to hear. Fantastic. I can't imagine like seeing a, a, a UFO and then having you come. And like I want to see one just to see Amber's reaction, in silver honestly. Pants. Uh, in silver pants. In silver pants. pants. And, and tinfoil hat, he'd be like, so you saw a UFO, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Marlboro hanging out of my mouth, it sounds like, too. <laughs> why, why is it that I have a smoker's lung every time? Whatever. All right, we got to go A whiskey break. sour. Hey, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brown. I, I don't think Mufon's going to let you're gonna fall like it. You're going to fall in love someday. <laughs> You're going to be very happy. All right, all right. I know I'm in love with this website. The website is <laughs> www.mimufon.org. That's M-I-M-U-F-O-N.org. That, um, Bill Konkoleski, of course, the, um, the director. I think I called you like the president of it. But no, it's the, the director of the Michigan chapter. The boss. Of <laughs> the Michigan. The president. Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather. The <laughs> UFO network. Keep on abducting. Ghostly talk! 
You have been listening to Ghostly Talk Paranormal Talk Radio. The Ghostly Talk audio program is distributed for free under the open content license. Please share with all your friends and support independent media. 